This week, Douglas Gale returns to talk Babylon 5 Season 2. Let's do it. Jesse Mercury, thank you so much for joining me on another intergalactic journey through a geeky, geeky show. I'm very excited. Right off the bat, I have to extend a very special thank you to Dana and Paula, who both signed up to support me on Patreon this week. I'm now up to 15 patrons uh, donating $39 a month, which is super, super exciting. On Patreon, I have a premium podcast that is available for $2 or more per month. This week, I have a special episode of that podcast coming out featuring a story from Douglas Gale about how he used to dress and perform as Drunk Riker that I very much enjoyed and am excited to share with my patrons. You can find that on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sci-Fi. So I haven't had the chance yet to, to go see Blade Runner 2049 or to watch the newest Star Trek episode. Those are both things I'm very eager to talk about on the podcast that will be coming up in the near future. But because I haven't seen them yet, we're just going to jump right into this discussion of Babylon 5 Season 2 with Douglas Gale. Let's do it. The Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. A self-contained world five miles long, located in neutral territory. A place of commerce and diplomacy for a quarter of a million humans and aliens. A shining beacon in space, all alone in the night. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind, the year the Great War came upon us all. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2259. The name of the place is Babylon 5. Well, Douglas Gale, welcome back. Hello, Jesse! (laughs) This is so much fun. I'm so glad we're doing this again. Yeah, me too. Oh, I love Babylon 5 so much. Me too. So we're going to talk about season two of Babylon 5. (laughs) And last time we talked about, like... The general story, and then we went through the character arcs of mm-hmm. each character. You know, instead of going episode by episode, just looking at each character and talking yes, about their talking arc. About the characters. Yeah. I loved that. Let's yeah. do it again. Yeah, it's perfect because it is so. Again, once again, the show is so serialized. Yeah, it's not so much. Oh, this thing here, this thing there. It is. It is a continuing growth and arc for the major characters. Yeah, and there's. It doesn't even matter necessarily what happens in specific episodes sometimes. Yeah. It really feels like it matters what happens in the season. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's like season one was episode one and season two is episode two yeah, in my yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. how I've been going. Like, <laughs> yes. If you asked me the name of any specific episode of the season, I'd have no idea. Agreed. Or like, if I look back on Wikipedia, I'm like, what happened in this episode? I have no idea. Yeah. But, <laughs> right, but, the, but if the I read story, the story, I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, that was this point in this episode that is season two in my mind. Absolutely. So yeah, it's it's... Yeah, it's a weird show. It's yeah, a, it's it a is very, a weird. It's a hard. I still have a hard time recommending it to people, even <laughs> though I love it. Yeah. So I want to just share my general impressions sure. of season two, which was like it reached highs that I thought were impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but it gets so bad sometimes. But it like 
it made season one mistakes constantly. Yes. Like shows. I mean, season one had a lot of like weirdness yeah. in it, uh, like awkward things that just felt like the show was kind of growing into itself. Clunky dialogue, heavy handed dialogue, like yeah. jokes that fall super flat, just yeah. like. Bleh. Yeah. And then like weirdly edited moments and, you know, weird acting choices. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> What just felt like the show was kind of learning itself. Sure. But then season two was full of that stuff. And Still, like, yeah. The show, this is just the show. Like, this yeah. is what the show is. It was, the show knew itself. Yeah. I'm just an idiot. The show just making really weird, awkward choices sometimes. Yeah. It's, and it's, 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 what's his name? Straczynski, JMS. JMS. He's just, that's, yeah, that's his style, you know? Yeah. What I think of it sometimes is it's almost like watching amateur television, but yeah. but 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 with like a brilliant like a really good writer you know i love that and i totally feel exactly what you're saying yeah the the uh, the pinnacle of that to me is best described by okay. motherfucking jack the ripper oh yes <laughs> oh my god that's okay that's a worthwhile one-off episode let's start there <laughs> <Okay>. because <laughs> that was bonkers yes by the way that, we have a jack the ripper well but it's also they they hint at him being jack the ripper right for like the entire episode oh my god and then they fucking just flat out confirm then they it. Say it but i am jack the ripper by the way <laughs> Yeah, P.S. I'm Jack the Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck to you in your holy cause, Captain Sheridan. May your choices have better results than mine. Remembered not as a messenger. Remembered not as a reformer. Not as a prophet. Not as a hero. Not even as Sebastian. Remembered only as Jack. I had the weirdest experience watching that episode because the actor playing Jack the Ripper was acting in a completely different production. Like he wasn't Ooh, even mm-hmm. anywhere close to being in the world of he Babylon. He was in the theater. 5. He was doing. He was doing like a theater totally, show. Totally. But on one hand, there was a part of me that's like, oh yeah, because he's from a different time, and that's what it'd be like. And then my brain's like, no, this no, is not what it would be like. Not at all. <laughs> no. I mean, the basic premise is that. Uh, the Vorlons have kidnapped Jack the Ripper from Earth's past and they've like had him do their assignments for years and he's right. like this the Inquisitor. The Inquisitor, right. Uh, he- it's, it's bonkers. It's like it's so crazy that it's worth watching because yeah. it was kind of interesting, but it like did not fit in the world. It's so jarring. At all. It's so At jarring. All. Yeah. <laughs> It did not belong on the show, and I I liked the episode just fine, but I was so taken aback by just, like, the choice to to do that and I mean he was wearing like all this pale makeup and yeah. acting out like so broad and huge right, like this Londoner be- from the past and- I, I believe he actually has like a cape a top hat and a cane I think you're right yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's his, his outfit is insane <laughs> yeah it's like it's like someone went to display in costume and picked up a London costume and painted their face white and they're I'm Jack the Ripper you know it was it was crazy I like, couldn't believe it was happening you know the his, whole time his only direction that JMS gave him must have been two more scenery. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't feel like you're hamming this up enough. It it's was so broad. It's it was so, crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. And it's, I was like, I think that happens. So there's an episode, like for me, the pinnacle of the season was the episode where um, Londo is like really getting deep in the yeah, in yeah. the machinations of these other mysterious people and he's watching them destroy the Narn planet right. and that sh- that incredible shot of him looking down at that planet and you yeah. know that he feels 
like he's doing wrong, Sympathy, but yeah. he can't stop himself. You yeah. know, it's oh, it's so good. So I good. was like torn apart by that yeah. moment, and I think the Inquisitor happens right after that, or like an episode or two after yes, that. Yeah, it's just, it's and so... it was like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> you just, you just reached that level that I wanted you to be at show. Like you just got there, and I was so proud of you. Yeah. And now you're doing this. What is this? <laughs> this below. This does not belong here. Not at all. It's so, it's so jarring. It stands out so much. It's, it's the constant problem recommending Babylon Five to people, where I think at its best, it's one of the best sci-fi uh, shows ever made. Yeah. Yeah. And it's worse. It's worse than everything. It's worse than everything. <laughs> it's worse than everything. Everything. Because there's, like, I can't think of any other show that you're like, oh, that did some dumb things. Yeah. Where, where it doesn't, where it's like no better than it ought to be, you know? Yeah. Like a really good example is actually Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Uh, where I just watched the episode with Andy where they pick up the, the colony full of Irish people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it like, it's, it's crazy. It, yeah. like, it's the same exact type of thing where it like does not belong in the world. Sure. And they did a really like hackneyed job of putting it together. And yeah. it feels like a stage production of like high schoolers inside yes. of Star Trek. <laughs> yes. um, and I think that, that that's a very similar feeling that I got from the Inquisitor. But the Inquisitor was like, they fucking believed it and they went for it like a hundred percent. And they tried to sell it to me as hard as they could. Yeah. And it was a very serious episode that I felt silly watching, yes. you know? Yeah. So it like reached a whole new level for me of, <laughs> of, of like, that was the, the one that didn't belong. Yeah. But I, I hesitate to call it a bad episode because if I'd just yeah. seen that by itself, right. I would have loved it. I would have been so on board. I'm like, what is this garbage? I love it. It's great. It's like, this is hot garbage and I love it. Like, I want to eat all of it. I want to see like a thousand episodes like this. But that's because that in my mind, it would have been a show where the writers were winking to me that it was a joke the yes. whole time. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't yeah. like in the context of Babylon 5, that episode, like it felt like a comedy show trying to pretend to be a sci-fi show, yes, but yeah. I don't think it was. And I don't think it knew it was doing that. And that's where I take issue with it. I keep thinking constantly watching Babylon five. What would I do if I was tasked with like rebooting Babylon five? <laughs> All Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> he's Fuck the narrator. Uh, yeah. It's just Jack the Ripper. Just Jack the Ripper. Yeah. He's the captain of Babylon five. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's one that it's, and the general premise of that episode is that the ostensibly mysterious alien race is torturing uh, uh, Delenn and Sheridan right. for purposes unknown. And it's it's gross. Like, yeah. the Vorlons seem so uh, hyper-evolved, you yeah, know, right. which we totally have confirmed to us at the end of the season, which was amazing, oh. by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, that's there's right. There's these moments that are so good. Right. And I'm, Okay, so, I'm writing okay. now. Uh, so that's, uh, that's actually good as a character arc. Yeah. Uh, Kosh. Kosh, so totally. Kosh goes from this mysterious entity in the first season, and what did you, can you think of, like, what your impression of him was by the end of the first season? Did Was he someone you cared about? Was he someone you wanted to know more about? I, uh, he was just kind of enigmatic and interesting sting from afar yeah. and I was curious about that character and I definitely wanted to know more and, and then, I I was always like kind of curious what was inside the the suit right. the what do they call it the, the encounter um, suit encounter suit yeah. yeah and then after a while I stopped caring cuz I really like the way the encounter suit looks yeah. like there's these weird moments where I question the taste of whoever designs the show. And sure. then there's these moments where I'm like, Oh damn, that's cool. Yeah. You know, like I, I hate how the Centauri look and I always will. Yeah, people, the hair is the thing that people complain the most about the Centauri. They just look like everyone is a, is a weird, like 
bizarro world version of Napoleon. It's uh, a whole planet of bizarro Napoleons. I, I, I hadn't thought about that, but I would like to say uh, it's Napoleon crossed with vampires. Like that's, <laughs> totally. That's, yeah. <laughs> but I love, but Londo's my favorite character, oh, so, so I'm conflicted on that. But anyway, so the Vorlons, the encounter suit, I was really on board. Because it's got like weird cool hoses that look like they open and close while he's yeah, talking. Yeah, totally. But I guess it is. I mean, it is alien. It really does. It's so alien and yeah. it feels functional and it has like that eye the mouth thing that like opens and closes on yeah. that iris yeah that when you see it from afar i thought it was like i'm like that's not cg but it, what's happening with his mouth right, right but then you see it up close and it's like oh it's like mechanical it's just uh, moving yeah yeah so i like seeing him emerge from that suit was not something that i had anticipated or thought about yeah i really had stopped thinking about that yeah. i'm like oh, he's probably just you know like uh like Norm's wife, Vera, on Cheers. Right. We'll never see her. So one thing that I noticed going through and having watched it before, so I knew, so basically, uh, uh, Kosh is revealed to be a, an angel. Like, like a, a straight-up angel straight out up, of the Bible. Right, a straight-up angel out of the Bible. Yeah. Winged, winged creature of light. Yeah, and uh, the, I think the indication or the implication is that our version of angels is based off of being visited by Vorlons. Right. And, that, and I loved it. And I, they, every I species yeah. has been visited by Vorlons. Every species, And they yeah. all have stories of an angel a, a yeah, creature of light totally so when the other aliens look at uh, kosh they're seeing themselves yeah where the you know sheridan sees a humanoid and yeah. delenn sees somebody that's that looks more like they um, see their version of angels from their yeah, culture right which is so interesting because you i i took that to be that like if everyone looked at him he looks different to them yeah but the, the based off of what you just said i'm wondering if um everybody saw being of light and filled it in with what they thought it was in their minds. I well, oh, yeah, I'd say there's almost no difference between it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind I guess of that's true. One. I guess it's that's true because like thing the they way, perceive. the way we perceive light and energy is different, you know, like then aliens probably like right. we probably all don't see the same spectrum. Maybe it's like the Mothman are around <laughs> us, but invisible. Maybe if you see, you know, gosh, and you yeah, have yeah. expanded infrared vision, yeah. you see something different or whatever. That's Maybe interesting. He, I don't know this. Anyway, he yeah. looks different to everyone. And they did this incredible, beautiful moment where Kosh appears and all of these different species look up in the sky and see something from their mythology mm -hmm. and call it something different. Right. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved great. it. I, it was like hardcore awesome. Yeah. You know, it was like really well done and really touching. And it's a strange twist. Yeah. Did not see it coming. Yeah. Was, I was wondering what was going to happen at the end of season two because sure. They were building towards this confrontation with this, you know, strange entity that's in the, the shadow, the shadow. The, yeah, the shadow that's in like hyperspace and yeah. um, it, kind of expecting that confrontation to happen. And then instead, the episode kind of turns on like, you know, Ambassador Kosh being revealed to be an angel. Right. And right. it was so cool. <laughs> right. It's like uh, just completely obfuscating my expectations. Yeah. And what I even I mean. I realized that I didn't really even know what type of show the show was trying to <laughs> right, be right. until that moment. Yeah. And it makes, it makes the decision to put the inquisitor in there, make a little bit more sense, Yeah, but it's still the wrong still, choice. Yeah, it's still <laughs> it's the wrong still, choice. It was the wrong choice. It's really interesting watching it now again, because I can see from season one, like, Oh, this is a show that is setting up this great war between darkness and light. You know, it totally. is a war of shadow and light and all of that 
is present through the first season. And in the second season, uh, there's at least one time where Kosh comes out of his encounter suit for someone and they don't show it to the audience. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And when he does, you can hear wings unfurling. Oh. If you watch those episodes again, you'll a hundred. And if you're thinking like he's an angel in there, you'll a hundred percent hear the, the wings as he leaves the encounter suit. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. And that, see, that's the kind of detail where it kind of begs a rewatch. Yeah. Because yeah. you start to un- unravel these layers of mystery and see intention from the beginning where I just saw strange choices. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's <laughs> even, there's more stuff co- that comes up wow. that makes you want to watch the first season again. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Which that's is crazy. Cool. Yeah. And I have to say, like, by the end of season two, I really had a hard time stopping because yes. I I wanted to stop <laughs> yeah, so that yeah. you and I could chat yeah, yeah. and then I could get back to it. But yeah. I really wanted to keep watching. Sure. And I, I had a, a conflicted relationship with the show this season because there were like really high highs and really low lows. Yep. I mean, I wouldn't say anything lower than the first season except for maybe that inquisitor episode the inquisitor one but that's that, that is such an outlying it's, strange yeah, it's thing. a one-off yeah. yeah we can we can just set it aside <laughs> pretend it didn't happen uh but there's I, less I was lows. frustrated that the show still had those low lows you know yeah. i was frustrated by that i didn't expect that based off of what everyone has told me about babylon 5 yeah but i i, I readily admit and <laughs> readily put it out there that the highs were Awesome yeah, and they, like so worthwhile and, and I, really blew me away. I feel like the, it gets better. Season three is where you awesome. get the season three is the in my mind the pinnacle payoff. Season four is a is a classic rush to an end ahead of its scheduled time because of because they thought they were not going to get a season they thought five. they were going to get a season five then they yeah. get a season five so then season five kind of meanders around the world a little bit and then leaves, <laughs> but oh, not weird. not in a bad way. It's just like oh you closed everything you wrapped everything up here now you're getting this sort of like epilogue maybe it's like well did he did he want to do did jms want to do more seasons than five and no he just i mean in part i mean part of it has been like babylon five five seasons that's okay. like uh that was the whole plan from the beginning like yeah at season four you can see where it would have been teased out part of four and part of five would have been just the fifth season yeah totally well you know what I loved is that they changed the opening sequence. Yes, yeah. They changed the... I mean, of course they had to change it because, you know, Sinclair's gone and Sinclair's Sheridan gone. is here. Right. And it's... I mean, they're... In my mind, they're updating you because they, they mentioned yeah. the year. The year. 2159. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that the it changed a little bit based off of the political climate also. Yep. Um, and this season succeeded so well in setting up a political climate that I cared about. Yeah. I mean, when the, when you come to the confrontation between the Narn and the Satari and the, the Narn are basically wiped out, like their, yeah. their planet is destroyed. Yeah. It was mind boggling mm-hmm. to me. Like the, they don't do that in TV sci-fi no, stuff. They don't do that. Or well, when they, I mean, they do in like the Star Trek did that with Vulcan in 2009, but this is way uh, before right, that, right, you right, know, gotcha. way before that. Like you don't kill a whole planet of friendlies. Right, right. Unless yeah. it's like a ancient civilization that we've discovered accidentally killed themselves. And the thing that killed them is still alive on the planet and uh, we have to disarm it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But and besides that, <laughs> right. They're one-offs. They're like, yeah. you encounter it. This put it front and center in its own show. Yeah. Which was really impressive. It felt brave to me. Yeah. And I was really impressed impressed by it and then uh jakar 
skyrocketed in my estimation. <sighs> yeah. uh, everything we talked about last time, how I was so frustrated that he was kind of the generic warrior race. And remember, I kept gone. saying like, yeah, gone. yeah, you're hundred percent gone. I think that's intentional. I think yeah. he creates Jakar to be this like, you're he's you're you're the the Klingon. You're the the other. You're the villain. You know, you're like a pseudo primitive person. Your people is a pseudo primitive race. Recently got to the stars. You probably still fight with swords and shit. You know? Yeah, totally. Uh, and then it changes. It all changes in this season. Then he becomes, uh, yeah, like a, it's, he's like a religious ish figure now in some ways. Yeah. They show him being a lot more, um, yeah, diplomatic and then crushed, of course, because his, yeah. you know, his, his planet's destroyed. You know, it, it, it makes it feel like his whole first season, all of his actions were based out of fear. And you don't really get the sense of the fact that, like, the, the Centauri really feel like the Narn are animals. Yes. You know? Yeah. I, I didn't quite get that until season two that the Centauri believe that the Narn don't even deserve to exist. Right. You know, it's like built into their culture that this whole planet full of intelligent people are animals. Yeah. And then <laughs> to get into season two and to find out that everything Jakar is saying is out of fear because his people have a very real threat of being destroyed. Yeah. Uh, it makes his actions make so much more sense. Like you would be as blustery and angry and like yep. forceful if you were worried that your entire planet that your actions could uh, end up with your planet being destroyed like you'd probably be a dick also yes yeah so it made him make so much more sense and the other characters don't get that in the first season and the audience doesn't either the audience doesn't right right because it's that's not the tropes of this kind of sci-fi show totally the tropes are that their people are mostly the same you know you get some fights back and forth but you know it's like true racism that you don't really see in Star Trek you know yeah uh, or in sci-fi in general like a really really good representation of racism yeah where the Centauri just like, it's not that they even actively hate the Narn. It's that they consider them to be less than they are. Right. right. And they, and even in the things uh, in the show, when they have the representative of the Centauri government putting out releases, they're saying like that they're doing all this. uh, uh, The language of it is always couched in like, we're helping them. them. We're doing this for them. It's like the saviors on the walking dead. Yeah. Yeah. I'm watching that right now. Season Ah. seven. It's very similar. Have you seen that? No, no, but I've read the, a lot of the comic. Oh, cool. I I want to get into that. Uh, yeah, I, it's like total propaganda machine. And then Babylon 5 is caught in the middle of this. Right, and they're all siding with Jakar because like they're siding for the side of like not committing genocide. Right, uh, right. Which, which was great to see everyone get behind Jakar in that episode. But, uh, well, yes and no, though. Sheridan is siding with Jakar, but the Earth government... That's true. Right. The Earth government is... They're not siding even... The Earth government is, like, trying to do a whole hands-off, like, not our monkey, not our circus right. thing. And it seems like there's some sort of, like, high-level corruption happening in the Earth government, like oh, the yeah. assassination of the president. Right. We don't... We, that happened at the end of season one. Uh, it's a little unclear still who's pulling the strings on Earth, for me anyway. Like, right, I, right. I know that they can't be trusted, but I don't know who's behind it or why it's happening. But they've already done stuff where they implicate, or there's been talk of the main suspect of who's behind the assassination of Santiago. Was it something to do with the Psychor? Uh, well, I, I mean, do you want me to spoil what they've said? If or? it was already there and I forgot it, then tell me. Uh, the, the Remember there's the episode where they're trying to get the vice president's doctor. And the vice president's, the, the vice president's doctor gets kidnapped by Richard Maul from Night Court. <laughs> 
None of this is ringing a bell. Keep going. Oh, so he's got a data disk and they're trying to find him. And that's when they bring on the security outside security forces and they have to go through section by section of Babylon five. And then one of the jokes is like, Oh, I sent them to downtown. That's just the boiler rooms. They'll never know. Yeah. Okay. That rings a bell. Yeah. And then the whole time they're looking for this old dude Uh who's got a data disk and he's hiding, but you know, right, right, right. And yeah, I don't remember how that ended. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What happened there? Um, oh, they, they, oh, they hide him in Kosh's ship. Right. They hide, they hide the vice president's doctor in Kosh's ship. Then the security people leave. And then he, then Kosh comes back with him, with the doctor. And then they take the data and they send him away or something like that. And what did the data say about the assassination of the president? The, so the idea is that the doctor has proof that Santiago was fine the day before. Oh, that he was actually killed. Uh, the the vice president was fine the the day before the president was killed and the vice president left. He got off at some station they refer to like, Oh, and the vice president. Oh, I see what you're saying. The vice president leaves the ship. The ship goes on, then gets blown up. Right, 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 right. Okay. I remember that now. So the implications that maybe the vice president president was was either behind it or knew something. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but we don't know like who the vice president's working for, or right, right, because Psychor they keep putting out there is like we're evil, we're yeah. definitely evil. It seems to me like Psychor is like trying to do a takeover of Earth. Like that's yeah. the that's the that's the feeling that I am getting from season two. But they also are they, to me they're portrayed as like go fuck yourself. We yeah, of course, if you have half a brain, you know we're evil. There's literally nothing you can do to stop us. Yeah, and they also seem kind of slightly racist against people who aren't psychic. Just like, exactly. That's yeah. yeah, that's a good point is that they're the telepaths themselves view themselves as superior to non-telepathic humans. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of like interesting tension happening between all these different factions. Something I yep. really dislike about the show that continued into season two is that there's always like a huge contingent of asshole dudes that live on Babylon five. Like the crowds in general are just like meathead bros. Yeah. And it's like the type of thing that you really wish would have stopped existing by then. Right. And something that I love about Star Trek so much is that it's like, Oh, we'll, we'll be a little bit smarter and more enlightened in the future. It's utopian. Yeah. We won't like be raised to anger and violence so easily. Like mob mentality has a little bit of reason behind it. And that is not the case on this. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, there was a bunch of, I, I don't remember specific instances, but there was a bunch of instances of that all throughout the first two seasons. Sure. That's been like bothering me. Yeah. Uh, but as I learn more, and I think it's kind of embodied by Garibaldi, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And as I learn more about the show, I'm learning that maybe that's intentional also. It's a hundred percent intentional. Yeah, yeah. That there's like this, this sort of like, uh, like intensely, like toxically male, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like thing that's happening in this society that is ours is happening in ours. Right. What bothered me about it is that it seemed like they just took what happens in ours and put it there. That's all they do. They, and they don't specifically address it. They just, they just put it there. Yeah. And they don't like develop it or say, this is like 300 years later, however many years, what at 2158, 20, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. How many years, like a hundred something, 150 years. Yeah. Yeah. This is about right. Yeah. Uh, 140 something. I don't know. 132. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) Math. Can't do it. I actually just guessed. Don't care, can't do it. <laughs> uh, didn't try. 
what was I talking about? Uh, oh, that thing. So yeah, it bothers me that when they just put things in the show that feel like they're from our time. Yes, that are supposed to be in the future. Right. Like there's a couple fashion choices that I was seem just gonna say like you the, mean straight out of the eighties. Like whenever they the showed 90s. it on TV, yeah, the nineties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like a, like eighties influenced hard nineties clothes. Sure. You know? Yeah, <laughs> if that makes any sense. If this had been a post-apocalyptic show, it would be people wearing hubcaps. You know, it would be that kind yeah. of. Yeah. When the eighties made. Uh, uh, post-apocalyptic stuff. It just had the same, like you're just like punks now yeah. with some more chrome and, and leather on you. Yeah, totally. And it, they don't explain it necessarily. Yeah. And I always want the explanation. Like uh, Fury Road did a good job of like well, an incredible job of building culture around yes. the apocalypse. Yeah. So you had a feeling of why people were dressed differently. Yeah. Um, I think the hundred is doing an amazing job of that, where a lot of these characters are slowly making the transition into more like warrior people. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, into grounders, and it's really yeah. cool. Oh. Yeah, that's I finished that show. That's great. Yeah, I watched that all four seasons recently. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Babylon Five. What were we talking about? Uh, the arc of the character and then Garibaldi and Garibaldi. how oh, yeah, like he represents toxic this masculinity. Toxic, oh, right. right. Okay. That so they, that they portray in the world, but never address it. Yeah. And I, I'm just like so annoyed by it. And it feels like, it feels like a, um, an oversight to me Yeah, on the part of the creator. But like now I'm starting to wonder towards the end of season two, I was starting to wonder if it was intentional because you start to get the feeling like earth culture is not all that great. Yeah. You know, yeah. like maybe, uh, like they don't come from an ap- apocalyptic or I'm sorry, from a utopian society. Right. They come from a society very much like ours and maybe even a little worse. Yes. And I, that's maybe, accurate. Yeah. And I, that's actually starting to really kind of adjust how I think about that yeah. presentation of, yeah, of that's humans. A good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually making it work for me a little bit better. Yeah. So. Cause it's very much not in the, it's not even in, in the same realm as a Star Trek utopian. Yeah. Cause even when Star Trek goes back to like enterprise and, it's still like right there. Like we've Earth's yeah. fixed all our shit more or less. And now we still, you know, now we're going forward with what we've got. Yeah. But it's, it's like humanity crosses a point where it says to itself, I can do it. And then it decides yeah. to try and just keeps doing it. Right. And I think that that's very doable and a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. And I want to see that everywhere because I think that's very important right now. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, I feel like that's, the way forward is to become like one people and one human government and right. And find a way to live that is in harmony with the world and each other. Yeah. Uh, and, and we have the communication tools to do that now. So there's no reason not to. Yeah. It's just like, you know, thousands of years of, of hatred and racism and prejudice and like built in, uh, like sociological rules that everyone's trying to follow. And we don't need any of that shit. Like we can let it go. And right. I feel like, Every generation has a choice to do that, you know, yep, and we should, we should make that choice. And Star Trek shows you a, a version of a world where that has happened, where it yeah. feels like things are taken care of in an equitable manner on earth, you know, yeah. but it took world war three to get there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing I'd like to avoid. <laughs> We're going to get there just by choosing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we could, I like the internet is something that was not anticipated in the time of Star Trek. Right. So the type of worldwide communication that we have, I, I mean, playing video games online has really opened my eyes to this because people watch me in other countries that right. don't speak English sometimes. <laughs> yeah. uh, or like people show up, like someone showed up last night and like asked if I spoke Spanish because they were in South America somewhere. I'm not even sure. No, maybe they were in Spain. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where they were right. from. They just wanted to know if I spoke Spanish and I didn't. Uh, but 
And like people, I, I don't remember what other country, like some country way across the world, someone yeah. showed up. I'm like, if people will like sit down and talk to each other, you know, or just sit down and have fun with each other, because that's what playing video games on- online is all about. Yeah. Just like hanging out and having fun with people. Like they would probably also be willing to talk about, hey, how can we keep everybody fed? How can we, how can we, how can we make sure that the environment still exists in 10 years? How can we make sure the planet is habitable? Like we don't have to talk about the other things that, you know, we cannot agree upon, but we can totally agree upon the fact that we all want to survive, you know, (laughs) and we all want to make sure the planet is habitable. So let's like, let's reach out to each other in that way. And you know, the, the, what's it called? Summit, the Paris Accords, the climate, the climate agreements that Trump pulled out of, I, I'm sure I've talked about this on the show before, but that that gave me this moment of like, oh my God, Star Trek is real. Like right. we all sat down and came to a decision and made a choice and it was the right choice. Right, as and it was wonderful. Uh, and then for Trump to like pull out of that is just yeah. like, it's it's like it's like a joke, you know. Right. It, it's like in, it's like living in a nightmare where, you know, the future that I want is like possible and the country that I live in is choosing not to participate. What right. the fuck is that? And that's, so that's the, that is the thing that I think will become more, I think it's clear now, but it be, definitely becomes uh, more heavy handedly obvious in the later seasons of Babylon five cool. is that it's not a utopian earth. It's, you know, it's, it's a capitalistic, it's like America except earth, you know? Yeah. I mean, they even yeah, have that yeah. thing where, uh, you know, this is ostensibly a space station, uh, that's run by the government, but they had the uh, the marketing uh, joke. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that was so funny. Where they had like, uh, they were like franchising the characters from Babylon Five to make toys out of. Is right, that, is in that the, the right word. Right in the in the show itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So they had to. They were gonna at whatever the gift shop was of Babylon Five is gonna sell dolls. Yeah. of the ambassadors and of the major characters. Why don't they just open up a gift shop? That's exactly what they're doing down in the Zocalo right now. It'll sell to uh, residents, tourists, visiting VIPs, anyone who wants a gift for themselves or for the folks back home. You know, uh, dolls, jackets, toys. Welcome to Babylon 5, the last best hope for a quick buck. Commander. Oh, this is demeaning. I mean, we're not some some deep space franchise. This station is about something. It was like on the line of being too stupid, but I loved it. Right, and it's also a subtle dig at Star Trek. Yeah. Because one of... uh, uh, Ivanova's lines is something we're not just some deep space franchise. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> that was totally a jab at Deep Space deep Nine Spine, because yeah. uh, JMS, we talked about this last time, but JMS felt like the producers of Star Trek had stolen his idea for the show of Babylon 5 because he was circulating the script. Right. Yeah. Right. And he was a little butthurt for quite a while about that. Yeah. But also, I, th- I feel like he handled it in a way that was good where yeah. other people were getting more explicit in their accusations. And he was just sort of like, I'm making my show and yeah, I wish I this had to work this way. You know, I agree. And it seems like maybe part of what he was upset about might have been true. You know, mm-hmm. who knows? Like there, there's some very surface level similarities that are pretty on point, you yeah. know, but the shows are so different that I mean, these days. Every show is so similar. You know, yeah. the Orville is Star Trek, but, it is but Star stupid. Trek. Right, right, right. right. And if you, <laughs> you know, like very blatantly trying to be Star Trek and stupid. And yeah. you can do that now because everything's been done. And now like variations on the theme are what people are interested in. Yes. And yeah. I, I like that. I yeah. think that that's fine. And I, I see like no issue with um, how Deep Space Nine is similar to Babylon 5 because right. they're such different they're shows. They're so different, right. And yeah. Babylon 5, if despite all of its flaws, if anything would more represent 
what you would do with a modern, if you were going to do like, let's do a space station show, but a different take. Yeah. Babylon five is the kind of show that you would make, you know? Yeah. I think uh, thematically, yes, but visually and texturally, oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely not. <laughs> none of that. Right. Right. None of that. That's the part where it feels like amateur television. You know, yeah, it's just totally. Like, yeah. Like the, the costuming and the set design, oftentimes it seems like they have the budget to pull it off, but but the, they choose to use designs that are so evocative of real life earth cultures yeah. or past cultures, mm-hmm. especially like the Centauri looking like, you know, uh, French revolutionaries. Yes, and absolutely. I, and I, I really don't like that. Like, yeah. It leaves a very bad taste in my mouth because you had this opportunity to to be truly creative and you chose to uh, reference something from earth history. And it feels lazy for yeah. some reason. There's a, there is a lot of lazy uh, uh, yeah. in Babylon five, which is so, it doesn't feel like a lazy show at all. Right. It's, you know? it's meticulously detailed yeah. in this long form payoff of a story yeah. of an arc. But then once he gets down into the weeds, it's like, yeah, this, that, I think what frustrates me is that it feels like there was no, uh, attention paid to the fact that television is like also a visual medium and yeah. needs to be visually pleasing. <laughs> right. And they just like, oftentimes went with what was like their first thought, you know, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. how would we portray people that live on the lower decks that are, you know, have a, a rags. Shitty lifestyle? They live in, they wear, they rags. wear rags. They're dirty. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Make me a costume. Have yeah. it by Tuesday. Uh, and there's a lot of that type of stuff. Yeah. And with the Centauri, it's like one of the main races. Uh, and they did a great job with the Narn. You know, yeah. they did a great job with uh, the Vorlons. They did an amazing job with the Minbari. Yeah. And it's like the Centauri that is, ran out of time or something sure yeah um, they got splotchy heads yeah and but it's inconsistently done and you know like i don't know yeah like, londo seems to be the only one that has like one of two people that we've seen with that splotchy head thing right um and then i don't i don't know like even just looking at veer his hair seems to be real hair that they've styled yeah and londo's wearing this like luscious wig right and it looks totally different yeah and so th- that that particular thing, the hair, I came to have a different opinion of now on a rewatch where I felt like, OK, if you just they never say it or anything. But if you just take the conceit of this is what they've decided to do with this thing that grows out of somebody's head is to uh, uh, make it look like this, then there would be people who would have like fake hair that, you know, that oh, sticks up like that. Oh, so Londo's bald and it's fake. Right. Or he's got some hair and then now oh, as a weave. Yeah, basically. But as his station increases, you can see. Oh, he's William Shatner. Yeah, his hair is becoming more it's and more. Shatner's toupee. Yeah. <laughs> you. Oh, you're brilliant. I love that. But I hadn't noticed that before. I would love to see just pictures of like Londo season one versus Londo at the end of season two. I think I think his hair is going to be limp and just like meh, and that now it's becoming like elaborate wow. and almost plastic. It's like that whole story about how you can trace the history of how much money William Shatner has made because the quality of his toupee <laughs> Gets changes. Better. Yeah, he stole one from the Star Trek set, like, uh, notoriously. That's really interesting. I really like that. I still don't like the design of their culture. Agreed, yeah. Uh, like, the, the costumes that they wear are so French Revolutionary. It's, yeah, you were spot on with it being Napoleon. Yeah. That's, I hadn't thought about that. That's The first time I saw Londo, I'm like, oh, it's Napoleon. Yeah. Uh, is he going to be, is he going to have, like, you know, power trip issues? And sure enough, he does. Yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, we got to talk about Sheridan oh, sure. because right. we haven't even touched on the fact that we yeah. had a new captain this season. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. A big, big shift. Huge change. Yeah. And I thought they did a brilliant job. Yeah. Uh, agreed. I thought they slid him right in there as if nothing, 
I mean, but they it's not as if nothing had happened because they very much like said this sucks we lost right. you know we lost uh, Sinclair right and we missed Sinclair but a little bit of time has passed and we need a new captain we right. need someone to come in and step into these shoes because Ivanova can't handle it all on her yep. own and they explained it logically totally it makes sense yeah and then getting the reveal that Sinclair like went off within Min- Minbari because he had the souls of Minbari warriors inside of him. Yeah. A huge payoff. Like yeah. from season one, right. right in the beginning of season two. Yeah. That felt to me like it was rushed. I felt like they had not planned to lose Sinclair. Uh, so yep. they didn't intend to give that information that way. Right. And it was kind of like, Oh, we have to do this, but, but it worked so well as a way to pass the baton because I got this like sense of excitement for the character of Sinclair of yeah. what he was off doing. Yep. And you even see him at one point in the season with in the, the video message. Yeah. yeah. And I just loved all of that. I thought they handled that in a brilliant way. Yeah. And I, I immediately liked Captain Sheridan. Yeah. He's very likable. He's different, but he's likable. And, um, I found rewatching it this time that I liked um, Sinclair more the first go through. Really? I, didn't, I didn't like him as much when I first watched the show and I immediately liked Sinclair more. This time I, I had a feel. No, season one commander I didn't like. Season, the first time. Yeah. You didn't like Sinclair the first time. You liked Sheridan better yeah, the first then, time. Yeah, the first time. The second time, I've, I like both of them, and I see them as really interesting uh, variations of a commander-type personality. Yeah, totally. Their, and, their approach to problems, yeah. you know, it's... I have to say that I think that, like, in a lot of ways, I think that Sheridan is the better man for the job of what's coming up, because yeah. in season one, you didn't really get the sense that like the the galaxy was going to break out into war. Right. Which I mean it's kind of obvious in this type of show but uh I didn't really know, you know? Yeah. But, but the coming of the shadow like this whole season is, is called the coming of shadows. Coming of shadows, yeah. And it seems like this outside threat coming in my my impression was kind of like, oh, they're going to have to fight this thing eventually. Right. But what's actually happening is this outside thing is worming its way in and controlling other uh, cultures and causing them to go to Making war with each, to other. each other. Right, yeah. right, right. And that is so much more interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, I mean, you know, Deep Space Nine did something kind of similar, but very on the surface. Like yeah. you knew like which side the Cardassians and the Klingons and the Romulans and the founders were at all right. times. And sometimes that switched back and forth, but it was, you know, we're fighting a war and it's grim and gritty and here we go. Yeah. But the, the whole idea of like starting a war and purposefully kind of yeah. planting these seeds yeah. of, of uh, dissension within a galaxy and then coming in to try to like swoop over and swoop in and take over. It's great. It's really great. It's really, really well done. Yeah. And it infuriates me that, well, I'm going to about to get off topic. Let me come back. Uh, I was going to talk about Londo being a jerk, but we'll come back to that because it's like the best part of the season. Uh, So anyway, so Sheridan has fought before. Like Sheridan understands war, but he's not a person who craves it or thirsts for it. Yeah. And it makes him such a good person to lead whatever's going to happen next. Yeah. Yep. I agree with that. And I feel I feel more that way with him than I did with Sinclair. I felt like Sinclair was kind of like uh had this interesting kind of spirituality and wisdom to yes, him. Yes, absolutely. That's in and they that's what they've sort of set up now yeah. is that he is a spiritual leader yeah. like the souls of the Mimari in him. Yeah. And that was the thing that informed my rewatch of season 1 is thinking, "Oh, he's the spiritual warrior. He's, you know, yeah. the warrior priest basically." Yeah, oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And you can really see it. Yeah, and it was cool to kind of learn that about him after the fact because of 
like being with Sheridan and and feeling the difference, even though they're both very similarly likable guys yes. that you want to follow. Yeah, um, I think if I'm if I'm if I'm going on an exploratory mission, I want to follow Sinclair, and if I'm going to war, I want to follow Sheridan. All right, so it's like a Kirk and Picard almost dynamic. Yeah, although I I'd follow Picard everywhere, yeah, so true. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> that's fair. Um, so I had this weird thing with Bruce Bruce Boxleitner's face, who plays. Oh Shannon. yeah, yeah. I I had like for half of the season, I had like face blindness with ah. him, where every time he came on screen, I didn't recognize him, which is so funny because like I've seen him in a bunch of shit. Sure, right. Like he was Tron, Tron, yeah, in both Tron movies, uh, and I found him unrecognizable in this. <laughs> And I thought back to the first time I saw Tron Legacy and I didn't recognize him from the first movie. Uh, and it took about halfway through the season for me to memorize what his face looked like. Interesting. So that's just a weird thing I've never really experienced where like <laughs> I like I people talk about face blindness and I don't sure. know what it means because I can remember people's faces pretty well. But this time I'm like, that guy's is that what his face looks like? <laughs> Every time he came on screen, I'm like, is that the same actor? <laughs> is that a different person? They're, they're switching commanders again. Yeah, they're just switching over and over. What's happening? They're just getting white guy after white guy. What is this? <laughs> Uh, but I, yeah, it was really weird. Like now I can picture his face. Yeah. So I got over it, but it was a very interesting thing that I've never experienced. And I just want to put it out there. Yeah, that's funny. What are your thoughts about Sheridan? Um, I like him. Uh, um, I, I agree with you. He does seem like someone who is capable of fighting, but knows that it's not the thing to do if you don't have to do it. You know? Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that he's the only one that, that had a military success against the Mimbari. That, right. That's something that comes very clear in this season. They hint at it, I think, in season one, or maybe they do get explicit, but here they, it's really on the surface is like, there is zero chance that the humans could fight the Mimbari. Right. If the Mimbari wants to defeat the humans, they would do it tomorrow, right. and there's nothing we could do about it. And one person ever, ever, ever did something that actually hurt the Mimbari. Right, that they the consider cheating. Yeah. Some of them consider cheating because it wasn't like a straight fight to fight he like led them into a trap that they fell into basically yeah yeah totally um but uh, yeah i i like that about sheridan i like that that he can fight but will try to avoid it you yeah know? but yeah he's he's got he's like scrappy he's got scrappy he's also of, petty which i kind of like like the yeah, whole thing about like bit. i want my quarters to be you know, I want whatever the extra sizes and, and the showers, you know. Oh, yeah. When they, they do a subplot where Earth is going to charge him rent. Charge him rent. That's for, the same episode where they were all action figures, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so then, but he's not going to pay it. And then he basically fiddles with the budget so he doesn't have to pay that money right. out of his own pocket. And I, right, I don't know. Right. That's kind of like, you know, part of it is like, I'm sticking into bureaucracy. And also, yeah. I deserve these good things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like, I'm doing the job you asked me to do and you're going to compensate me accordingly. Yeah. Or, and you're not going to change that because we had an agreement. And he's very, he's very black and white about that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think his because his sense of right and wrong is very black and white. Yes. And yeah. I think that his sense of right and wrong is actually pretty damn strong. And I really enjoy watching a character who is like that because yeah. uh, with Sinclair, I never doubted that he was going to do the right thing because he was like kind of this peaceful guy, yes. you know? Yep. But Sheridan is not a peaceful guy, but he's he still does the right thing. And, and he, I think that's really interesting. I really Sheridan, like it. And Sheridan is also portrayed, I think, as someone who uh, buys into the hierarchy of the, like he will follow orders. Yeah. So if he is going to do something that is against orders, he's always trying to find like, what's the loophole? Right. How, how can I get away with doing this? Right. While still not being insubordinate, you know, he'll do what's right. Uh, but he, 
and doing what's right includes following the rules. Yeah. And sometimes those things are at odds and he always finds a way around that. Cause that's like, like the stuff with the Narn that's going on towards right. the end where now the Narn home world has been destroyed and they're in desperate need of, of help and earth government isn't going to explicitly choose sides and help them. Yeah. But they would need somebody to kind of look the other way. Uh, and Sheridan does that to a point, but also he's not just like, okay, you can use Babylon five, you know, to smuggle weapons, something that would be useful, right. You know, because that's against his regulations. So right. he's following, it's a weird balance that he's following the line given by the earth, but also trying to do it in a way that fits his moral code. Tell them that from this place we will deliver notice to the parliaments of conquerors that a line has been drawn against the darkness. And we will hold that line, no matter the cost. I really like that character. I, I think that they kind of pulled off the impossible in switching from one main character to another Agreed. between the first and second seasons. Yep. Um, Especially I, an off-camera shift, where it's totally. not even—it's not even like a handing of the torch, which sometimes can make it more graceful. Totally, like Stargate's the other show that comes to mind where they—they they, like Stargate Atlantis. They change captains like three times, uh, yeah. and it's not—they're not called a captain. The person who's running Atlantis changes, I think, three times. Yeah, and the first person who does it for like three seasons, I loved. I loved her so much. But then they brought in Amanda Tapping for season four, and she played uh, Colonel Carter on Stargate SG-1, so she's like a fan favorite, and she right. came in. The The producers weren't super happy with the actress who was in charge. I don't remember her name or her character's name, but I loved that character. Yeah. So it was kind of a publicity stunt. Like Atlantis was like lowering the ratings. They brought in... Um, they brought in Carter to take over right. and they did a little bit of a sloppy job with it. Yeah. And it didn't quite work. I, I still liked it, but it didn't quite work for a lot of the fans. Yeah. And then she only wanted to do one season. So the next season they brought in Robert Picardo to take over see, the last season of the show. And it just got even sloppier. Uh, and, uh, yeah. They, they didn't do a good job of making you want to follow Robert yep. Picardo, especially after having like two back to back changes. Yep. Uh, so I don't know. I, 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 f- I felt like when they brought in Carter, they did a pretty good job, and I like still went along for the ride, and I thought that maybe that's about the best you can hope for. Yeah. Captain Sheridan. I, I liked him immediately. Yeah. He's like always smiling. He's really charming. Yeah. He, he's got fiery hot chemistry with he's the He's a great, the Bruce Boxlinger, Bruce Brox. Box Leitner, I think. Box Leitner. He's a great actor. Yeah. That helps so much. And, yeah. And uh, for all of his faults, I think that uh, uh, J. Michael Straczynski is a good writer. He has the ability, <laughs> he has it in him to write good things, to, to uh, write interesting stories. And, He's one of the people that I had always gotten the in my head of like writing is magic. When you're uh. when you're working on something and then you hit like a problem, you can just fix it with writing. You know what I mean? Like wow. you don't uh, so I've worked on serialized stuff before, like uh, the our, our uh, sci-fi parody, the Place by Seven thing, yeah. uh, me and Ryan. And then uh, when we knew that one of uh, the characters, uh, Albert's character, the uh, um, chief medical officer, was going to leave, to me, it, the only concern was that I, I like to work with Albert. But as far as the story goes, it's like, yeah, you can just whatever. You can explain anything. Yeah. You can explain anything away with writing on a show because it is writing is magic. You literally have the power to reconfigure the world but if you do it sloppy then it's going to be obnoxious or it's going to feel jarring you can do it in ways that are not smooth and not good and uh, Straczynski did I think a great job of that in this show yeah because if you do it well 
um, you know, real life is not predictable. Yeah. So if you have a plan for a story and then real life intervenes, maybe your story can mirror what happened in real life right. in some way or yeah. find some creative take on what happened to put into the show um, so that the show can continue and that it, the show might feel more real for it because something that the writer himself didn't even... Right, uh, has it, to be dealt with. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's exactly what happened here where, yep. um, you know, the guy who was playing Sinclair was having, as we talked about last time, he was right. having some mental health issues and he felt like he needed to leave the show because yep. it was too hard for him to work in such a violent setting with the, you know, the guns and everything that right. were all around. So, uh, so yeah, he felt like for his health, he needed to leave and JMS didn't want him to go, but you know, his health went out and he left and I totally respect that yeah. decision. Uh, so then someone else was needed for the job and, uh, you know, JMS had this five-year plan that had to be altered a little bit, but I, it was just so artfully See, and gracefully I done. Think now looking back on it, so have you heard of his talk about the trap doors? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I picture Sheridan as being a character that would have come in. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe in season two, but not as, as a commander. Yeah. Maybe in season three, because I feel like at some point in time, um, Sinclair, and it'll make more sense when you see more, was going to get pulled off of the station. I think there was always an intention to have him be replaced, but still stay around as a primary character. Yeah. So this kind of like mutated that story a little bit. That's same thing. Cool. Same thing with um, the telepath. That's another character arc. Yeah. That, that ends this season because they reveal her as the secret agent. And then, oh, that's right. Oh my god. Right. And then she disappears from the show. I totally forgot about that. That was bonkers. Right. So that is that is a. That woman, uh, Amanda, whatever I think, I forget her name, uh, quit the show. Right. She wanted to be done with the show. She went on to, she, for a brief period of time, went into journalism. She was like oh, a- Andrea a Thompson news, yeah. as Talia Winters. Yeah, Talia Winters. So yeah. she was a news anchor after, after she quit. And part of it was, and I agree with her, when you her character gets a lot of uh, shit- storylines early on. Oh yeah. Because she's always in distress and it's always her. She's terribly written. Yeah. But what the, the sad thing is she quits. She's replaced by Lita who was the telepath and the pilot. Right. Uh, and then Lita basically picks up her storyline, uh, uh, Talia winter storyline. And it gets interesting. And it gets interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that was, that was really bizarre. And I, there was a couple of moments in the season where I was so frustrated because like big things happened that I didn't care about because I wasn't made to care about those characters in the way that I was supposed to. Yeah. Because I, I Talia Winters in particular was, I feel like very poorly written. Yeah. Like very poorly fleshed out. Yeah. Um, and such a, such a great opportunity for a character that yeah. was just not taken. Yes. And then to say that she was like a sleeper agent the whole time and yeah. the Talia Winters persona was created. Yeah. I just, I just, it just didn't sit well. And yeah, and that one that one is a hundred percent one of those we have to accommodate yeah. a change, but it's not it's not smooth. Yeah. It just is it's a really abrupt they they rush a storyline with Talia and uh Ivanova having like a romantic relationship. Oh yeah, totally. I like the episode where she's revealed is like the biggest part of showing them actually like literally sleeping in the same quarters, you know. It was hard to tell if it was friends or not but i do you think it was romantic i i do and i think par, people have talked about it how that that would have been like oh we've never had like uh uh major out lesbian characters on yeah. tv at that period of time yeah so in its own way it was pushing forward but they also i feel like intentionally didn't make it 
uh, as explicit as the intention for the story was. That's interesting because yeah, this is something that's come up a couple times in the shows that I've been watching, like Buffy. Uh, the first kiss between Tara and Willow is off screen, right? Right. Because they couldn't even show it. Right. They couldn't get it through. And then, of course, the first uh, you know lesbian kiss happens on Deep Space Nine. Yep. Which is so it's so cool that Star Trek has a lot of the first kisses. Yeah. 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 You know? It's a very romantic show. Yeah. So Babylon Five, I think, could have done that, and that was their I, intention. I, I have to be honest, I didn't pick it up. Yep. I when you said that, I I was like searching my memory, but I. I thought it was like more they're trying to say these people are actually colleagues, even though they kind of hate well, each other and then this there's whole time. An, they have them sleeping in the same quarters, but then there's also a line about like something going on and then yeah. they put them. I, I felt like for a second, I'm like, are, are they interested in each other? But I'm like, no, nah, it's probably just, I think everyone wants to fuck everyone else. Uh, so it's probably yeah. not that, but it's interesting that you, th- that, that that is a thing. I think it's there. And I feel like I had read something about okay. them taught like uh, Straczynski saying that that was the, that intention. was the intention. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I, I'll have to go cool. back and double check to see. I love that. I, and that bums me out. Uh, I do feel like they, it's, it felt like they built a character that didn't work. So they threw her away. Is, uh, is how it felt to yeah, me. absolutely. And there's several characters like that. And yeah. it's so frustrating. Yeah. Like when you, when you watch this, the opening credits for the season, every time, uh, like a couple of people would come up, I'd get frustrated. Like yeah. every time Natoth comes up in the main credits, oh, yeah, yeah. I get so upset because she's shown up on screen like five times yeah. out of like 20 episodes or like 30 episodes or however many there's been so far in the first two seasons. And there's been, I think two different people that have played her so far. Yeah. Caitlin Brown and, and uh, Mary Kate Adams. I think, I think it was Caitlin Brown in season one. Oh, nice. But yeah. Mary Kate Adams in season two, which I, I only remember seeing maybe twice. Yeah. Tops. Yeah. Um, I my memory is that she becomes more predominant in later seasons. I think they go back to the original actress too, right? Uh, that I don't remember. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I I was not. I never cared about Talia's storyline. Yeah, and I was. I felt almost like angered by the fact that I. It felt like the. It felt like the show wanted me to be angry. That she wasn't her. Yeah. And I was angry that I felt nothing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Besides yeah. annoyed at how it was written, because I, I didn't really, I don't know. I, something about that just doesn't sit right. And I can't, it's hard for me to put my finger on, but it's a, it's a similar trope in other shows that I get so mad at where, uh, like, spoilers for Deep Space Nine for my well, maybe least favorite episode of Deep Space Nine. There's an episode where Worf's brother, Kern, comes uh, back. Yeah. Uh, and then they, like, he, he wants Worf to kill him because he's done something. Right. I don't remember what it was, but the solution that Worf comes up with is to wipe his brother's memory and yeah. like, change his face yeah. so that he can live his life as someone else. Right. And it's it's like despicably awful. Yeah. It's like it cheats. It's the most like unWarf thing possible. Yeah. Like Worf would have killed him. You know. Yeah. Worf would have killed him in a way that would have brought him honor. And it, it it like diluted Worf yeah. and what was so great about Worf, and it really pissed me off. And, it, and it's not even like a dilution that's explored. No. They're never going to go back They'd to it. They'd never come back they to it. They would never have him sitting there going, I really fucked that up. Yeah. You know? And that you could, that could be an interesting exploration of like- Absolutely. You know, I neutered this warrior just- to avoid yeah. my own complex feelings. You it's know? like such a big deal. It's so out of character. And it it's like, what I feel like one of the worst mistakes 
that Star Trek has made because like Star Trek fucks up constantly, you know, but they don't usually break their characters or do something right. that's like so out of character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Like they may have fucked up because Beverly's fucking a ghost, but I, <laughs> I can see it. Like, I mean, you Beverly, know, Beverly doesn't people, strike me as somebody who would not fuck a ghost. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I mean, it, Riker would fuck a ghost. Yeah, totally. It's it a new judgment of the <laughs> ranking of all Star Trek characters of your likelihood to fuck a ghost. <laughs> Kirk would fuck a ghost. That would be a good way to rate episodes. Like between, uh, uh, let's see, what's like the highest moment of the show? Maybe like, I don't know, all good things is like the best thing. Yeah. Is, like how does it rate between like uh, fixing the timeline with Q or fucking a ghost? You know? <laughs> it's the new jumping the shark. Yeah. Of science fiction. Yeah. That episode was somewhere around uh, <laughs> a young child pretending to be data. Oh, I see. I see. Oh, okay. So a three, <laughs> maybe a four. You don't know what it's like living only in the shadows of her mind, watching, laughing at all of you out here. Foolish, petty, stupid. There I was, trapped inside, able to come out only at night when she was asleep. Her invisible sister. And you believed everything she said to you. All the things you wanted to hear. All the words I whispered in her thoughts while she lay sleeping. The words that would get her closer to you and to what you knew. <laughs> you should see the look on your face. My good and dear friend, Susan. Talk of Star Trek always makes me think of like red shirts or often does. Yeah. And Babylon 5 doesn't quite have a similar thing. Uh, and I still have mixed feelings about it, but there's a character they introduce in season two Ugh. whose only purpose is to die at the end of the season. Ugh. And I'm of mixed mind because you could have done that with a one-off character for that episode or like a two arc. Yeah. Episode. And he was a main character all season and he was boring. He was boring. Right. That's yeah. and so I think that's actually, what, what was his name? Oh, I don't even remember. Boring mixed space guy. He's for some reason he was in main cast and he's not showing up on this list on this. Yeah, he was. He was. Main no, no, he is on this list. I can't read. Uh, Robert Russler is Lieutenant Warren Keffler. Keffler. Right. And he's he is main cast because he's in the he's in the opening credits. Oh, Keffer. It says Keffer. I thought it was Keffler. Oh, OK. Yeah, but there, there we go. This is how boring this character know. is. I, I was so pissed by that whole thing. They should have made him. They should have given him a mini arc because he clearly was. I believe that he exists just for that death. I agree. And to not make it what would feel like a red shirt death. Right. They wanted to kill a character who was a named character, basically a, a, an opening credit character. Yeah. So they're not going to kill any of the existing ones. So they introduce somebody just to kill him, just to kill him. But you know, okay, give him a season, give him some episodes here and there, but literally do nothing with him. He's just yeah. there. Yeah, he's like a voice for the the pilots. You know, he doesn't even have his own voice. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was so annoyed by that. It's funny because we we're talking about, is this a lazy show? No, but maybe but yes, because yes. this is lazy. It like, is. this was lazy writing. I, yes, I, yes. I, it really bothered me. And you know what's so funny about that is that I was trying to remember today. I'm like, what was that guy's name? Did he <laughs> die or not? I couldn't remember if he even died because I was right. actually like... 
But I knew that he was there to die. I knew that was the purpose of his character. Yeah. So I'm like, no, he must have died because, like, I know the per- the only reason this character is here is to get killed, right? So yeah, so he's dead, he's right? Dead. He I couldn't even dead. remember because like yeah. I didn't even give a shit, you yeah. know. <laughs> That's another moment, like with Talia leaving. I, these are these are the moments of the season that really bothered me, where yeah. there were moments that were kind of big deals that I didn't give a shit about. Yeah. And as a writer, you know, JMS set himself up with these big deal moments, or he had these moments to pay off, and he just fucking dropped the ball Drops on those it. moments. Yep, agreed. But then, you know. The moments that, for me, gave me the satisfaction that I was looking for from the season came from unexpected places. Yeah. And it it came from Londo destroying the Narn. It came from, uh, you know, Kosh revealing himself. I like the... I really like the the scene of uh, Londo and Jakar when Jakar is at his highest point of excitement for the possibility of the future yes. and peace with the Centauri. Yes. And he wants to have a drink with Londo. Yes. And Londo knows that he's already ordered right. the destruction of his people. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's like so, oh, that's I love so that well moment. done. I love that moment. You! So I can explain everything. I'm going to get you a drink. It's not every day I have a revelation, you know. Two of your finest. I've heard something. And it makes me think there is still hope for us after all. I believed your people capable of only murder and pain. But apparently there is still a spark of decency in your genetic code. It's not much of a foundation, I'll grant you that, but it's a start. I never thought I would be saying this, Molari, but to the health of your emperor, and perhaps to your health as well. To the emperor, and thank you. What happened with Ivanova this season? See, okay, so she's one who I feel like gets nothing this season. I think yeah, that she, she her, and uh, uh, Garibaldi, I can't really think of like much that happened with Garibaldi them. recovers from you know the 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 assassination attempt or not assassination attempt, but you know right. his 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 assistant, no, not assistant, his other fellow security guard tried to kill him right at the end um, of season one. At the end of season one, and so he recovers from that. And then he's basically just here. He doesn't really. Yeah. He does challenge. This is interesting. He does challenge um, Sheridan when Sheridan wants to hold Morden for no reason to the point where Garibaldi quits. He's like, I can't do this. This is wrong. And Sheridan is arguably the one who's in the wrong, but he's personally, it's his wife, you know, he's personally yeah. vested in it. But it's interesting because Garibaldi won't go along with it, but then that's when uh, Zach comes in um, and he's the one who's like, okay, I'll act as chief of security and, yeah, and enforce your weird ideas. And that guy pops up like through the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And he, I actually really liked that character. He's so he's, his arc is starting now. He, he gets more next season. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, man, they made me care about this guy, but not like captain. What's his face who just got blown up. Who I don't even remember. Right. Like, right. I, yeah. Which was frustrating. Yeah. So Ivanova, I think, she gets short shrift this season. And I think it's due to Talia's character getting yanked early. Cause mm-hmm. I really do believe the intention. I think the intention clearly was to have them build a romantic relationship that would last through yeah. more seasons. I like that. And part of it is because of, uh, Ivanova 
hating telepaths, but also yeah. revealing this season that she is a latent telepath oh, yeah. herself. I forgot that too. God, my memory sucks. I really liked that. I, uh, that was one of those things that kind of clicked into place so much story that had been talked mm-hmm. about. That was a big deal for her yeah. this season for sure. Um, yeah, like uh, all this like animosity that she holds that you always thought was because her mom is a telepath and they right. ruined her mom with these drugs. It's because she's also living in fear because yeah. uh, of being discovered and having to go through that as well. She'll have to take the same drugs. Yeah, so she's learned how to kind of shield her mind from the probes of telepaths so they yeah. won't know that she is one. Right. Uh, I really liked that. I yeah. thought that was like really, really clever writing. A nice huge juicy secret to put in there for one of our main characters yep. and i like the way that it was revealed yeah and then it comes out when they want to do the the send the password to to reveal the sleeper agent yeah because she has to let down that guard which yeah. also means letting people know that she has that guard right that's right i see that part of that episode i really liked yeah and i i feel like she's a missed opportunity this season in general again in my fantasy world reboot of babylon 5 ivanova's character is one who would get much better treatment because she's kind of corny in a lot of ways. Yeah. She's portrayed as almost like a, she's like comic relief. Uh, So much of what she does is comic relief and it makes a weird tonal shift when that tries to also make her like a tragic figure at times. Yeah. I really, 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 really like her. You know, I do too. I love that character. And I, I agree that her backstory the presentation of her backstory is very sparse yeah, and a little incomplete feeling. Yeah. And I like the fact that we got a big new piece of information and yes. it just made me want to know more about her, but I kind of want to know more about her as a person. Yeah. And I, I, I don't feel that way about Garibaldi. I, yeah. I don't feel that way about Sheridan with yeah. Garibaldi. It's cause I don't care with Sheridan. Sure. It's cause I know a lot, you know enough. Yeah. 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 And I feel like I know a lot about Garibaldi is one of the most tropey characters too. Oh, yeah. He's just like, Oh, he's the, he's the, he's what's his name? Dallas. And, uh, fifth element he's uh oh he's corbin dallas yeah you know he's he's like hey i'm the i'm the cop maybe i'll be the ex-cop am i am i drinking now or am i am i ex-drinking alcoholic oh my god you're so right bald irascible you know <laughs> i found him like just so obnoxious this season i yeah. didn't really mind him last season but for some reason this season i was just kind of over it yeah and i didn't care at all anymore yeah and i found him completely uninteresting and most of the time he was on screen i was a little frustrated by his yeah. presence yeah he, they I can't remember where it goes, but I know that both him and Zach, the two main security guards guys have more extensive uh, arcs in cool. the later seasons. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, oh kind of. I, I <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I'm hoping to see that they do well with them. But I just remember that getting more developed where I can't remember Ivanova ever getting too much more developed. No, oh, that's such a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I do think this show is maybe dropping the ball a little bit on, on female characters. Yeah, which is interesting because it also has a high number of female directors. I mean, it's obviously him writing it and he's not the most, you know, uh, he puts a lot of women in the show, but then doesn't do much with them. Yeah. He's like, he's like, you're just on the edge of being aware, you know? Yeah, totally. Like Talia and Natoth are, are not even like full characters at all. Yeah. And that's like two of your main cast. There's only, there's only, uh, what? Four women in the main cast. Between Ivanova, Delenn, Talia, and Natath. Yeah, there's yep. four in yep. this season. And there's only two of them that are all at all developed right. or interesting to watch. Uh, and one of them is only in, I think, two ep- I think she was only in two episodes. Like, yeah. I only remember seeing her twice. Yeah. And I was so, I don't know. 
Um, a lot of wasted opportunities. Yeah, it, there's something about this show that feels like a boys' club in a way that feels gross to me. Yeah, like when I was in middle school and like went into the locker room for the first time, I was like terrified. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And this show feels like the locker room of a, yeah. of a boys' middle school. <laughs> well, not a boys' middle school, but like a middle, a, a boys' locker room in middle school right. sometimes, and, and not addressed. That's the yeah. thing. Is I do think it is an interesting, accurate reflection of society but that some things like that don't get addressed yeah. i think michael Straczynski, his biggest thing is that he paints in super broad strokes yeah literally darkness versus lights you know it's here's these here's these warring factions civilizations clashing you know here's a global government that is maybe corrupt and maybe assassinated a leader yeah and then when you get down to like the individual levels like da, 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 whatever you know yeah like we said yeah. that's where the laziness comes in it's like he started it as big as possible and then worked backwards to, to build this story and at a certain point he's like okay I'm ready yeah but but he didn't get a lot of like the day-to-day personal details yeah uh to feel real yeah and it just like it's it almost feels like it's filled in by the art department without direction <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I mean and like oh well we have uh this Jack the Ripper costume right. Let's do that. <laughs> I mean that's not exactly what I'm talking about but with 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 the budget, this would be an amazing reboot. This would be such a, you could do such a good job with this show in the Netflix streaming. World, oh yeah, you know? absolutely. Because I actually, as much as I don't like the way the Centauri look, I do like the way Londo looks yeah. like he's the only one that works for me. Yeah. Uh, where like he's got this, but it's, it's the performance. It's not, yeah, it's not his costume. It's the performance is so fucking good yeah. that it's hard to not take him seriously or feel the weight of that character or like the joy of that character when, yeah. it, when it pops up Yeah, or the, the conflicted nature of him is so rich and uh, like gooey and sticky and wonderful yeah. to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, and, and they, I could I could imagine like a rebooted version where like, but I'd want them to I'd want them to look like that still. Yes, you know, which yeah, is weird, yeah. but but like cooler. Yeah, like different outfits, but I'd want like Londo and Jakar to look the same in uh, like from far away, but up close, it'd just look way better. <laughs> yeah, you know more, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sharpen things up a little bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he's his is uh, well, okay. Who are, who else is arcs? There was Ivanova doesn't really get one. Yeah, well, we talk about the women. Short. We haven't talked about Delen yet, and Delen's arc is really Delen's arc is. I I was actually really into Delen's arc this yeah. season. I'm I, not sure if I like it, but I was I, super invested in it. So the I was conf- the first time I watched Babylon Five, I was super confused by Delen's arc, and then rewatching it now, I'm like, I'm still fundamentally confused huh. by it, and I know some more stuff that happens later. Uh, it's yeah. interesting. Like I really, I like her. I love, uh, what's her name first? Uh, um, uh, Mira Furlan. Mira Furlan. Uh, she's a wonderful actor. I think she does a great job with the character. I think the character's more or less decently written. There's a couple times where I'm like, Oh, that's a bit, she's a bit sappy. Mm-hmm. You know, her, the, when they portray her as strong, it's wonderful. Yeah. But sometimes they portray her strength as a kind of fragile strength. And again, I don't know if that's intentional. And I it, disagree with that. Okay. I, I feel like she's incredibly strong. And the part of her that is weak is the part of her that knows that her own life doesn't matter and uh, has resigned to that. Okay. So sometimes like she gets really emotional cause she knows that what she's doing like her life doesn't matter and she might die. Uh, uh, it, I was thinking this in, okay. the, in the Inquisitor episode yeah. uh, and that she carries around a sadness knowing that her own life is meaningless, right. but it's because she's so 100% devoted to the cause of, of good. Of and good, light. right. Of literally fighting evil. Yeah, of fighting evil. And like she's been trained, it seems, since birth 
and she right. knows stuff that we don't know about the right. darkness that's coming. Right. And I, obviously the um, the Minbari know a lot more than they're saying. Yep. And still do. <laughs> um, so I I was really really compelled by her. Yeah, that's good. Season. I can see that. Even going through like a personal ch- bodily change right. and holding under her convictions as strong as she did, I thought was really cool. Yeah. Uh, that like the person at the core of her is is the same, even though everything about like how she looks and a lot about how she acted changed. Yes. She went through this chrysalis and she came out as a human Minbari hybrid. Right. Kind of developing into that, uh, the idea that Sinclair is all, like also has a piece of Minbari inside of him. Right. Minbari souls. Minbari souls. Yeah. yeah. So that, so she's like physically made a transformation closer and there's some sort of connection between our two species that we don't quite understand yet. Right. In the show. Right. And she's trying to embody that physically. Yeah. In a way that she hopes brings the species together. Right. I guess politically you would say or socially. Yeah, and I culturally. It's it's like uh I there's she has a lot of information that we don't have, but but I felt I felt like she was making like a uh a strong decision for herself even though I didn't quite understand it based yeah. off the way it was performed. Yeah. Um I have to say that I really miss the makeup from season one. Uh, she, I loved that makeup yeah. at, of her as Delenn. It's so interesting because if you, after watching five seasons, then going back, mm. it's kind of jarring to see Delenn that way again. It's like, yeah. oh, right. You were, you know. Yeah. She opens up emotionally, um, which is kind of fun to watch. She like develops a little bit of a sense of vanity, which is yeah. fun to watch. Yeah. She kind of goes through the process of discovering what it means to be human on a small scale, yeah. which I always like uh, yep. in sci-fi. So um, yeah, I enjoyed all of that. I, I don't like how human she looks. I think that uh, yeah. like just, just putting this one weird thing on the back of her head, this shell that doesn't even look like it's connected to her in any it way. It looks like a, it looks like a, like a, a fashion thing, like a, yeah. a, not part of it. it. Doesn't look like bone. It's like a it weird, looks like a hair brooch. clip. Yeah. yeah hair clip. <laughs> neck brooch. Yeah. Neck brooch. Uh, I, and I don't buy it at all. So, yeah. so in that way, I felt a little bit like they had this gorgeous actress yeah. and like, Oh, let's make her hotter. And it, it, something about that, like rubbed me the wrong way, but I don't, I don't know if that's just me being judgy or if it was actually something that was in the show. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Um, I, f- it never occurred to me in that sense. I, I had always questioned in the show, the character's motivation for doing this process yeah. and how, like, does that, how that fits in with the broader stories uh, to the point where when other characters challenge her about doing it, I'm like, yeah, dude's kind of got a point. Like, <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. What does this mean? Yeah. Uh, as far as the outside level of the, the creators of the show choosing to put her into this look, I, that didn't affect me one way or the other. You know, it was, mm. I, it didn't, it never came across as like, let's try and showcase her as being a more, physically attractive and let's not bury her underneath this kind of makeup. It really did feel like a story driven thing that I still wasn't sure whether it was yeah. a good call or not. Yeah. I guess I don't, something, I like it story wise and something about the way it was done visually. I, and I don't know, I don't quite know what it is, but it rubbed yeah. me a little bit the wrong way. Yeah. This is, this is me just being weird, but I really like feeling attracted to things that you wouldn't expect. <laughs> uh, I think that if you can make someone attractive as an alien, 
uh, that that's actually kind of cool. Like, <laughs> if you can be attracted to aliens, then maybe it doesn't matter who else you're attracted to. Sure. You, know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. guys, girls, like, black, white, maybe none of that matters because, like, this person's an alien or right. this, you know, you, if you, you believe the world, you've this person's a solid an alien. defense of the furry community right here. <laughs> I, I, there's something about it that feels like it's trying to tell you that it's okay to be attracted to whatever. Right. You know, that I always found comforting. Uh, but maybe that's just me being an optimist. Maybe these people are just being objectified and I'm being awful by enjoying it. But in this but any- show, it didn't feel objectifying for Delenn's character. It really didn't. The fact that she right. is attractive didn't feel like this is what we're doing and this is what we're emphasizing. Because if it was, then I feel like they really softballed that one. Entirely. Oh, totally. No, I, I in season un- one, I found her very sexy. Yeah. But I don't think they objectified her like an, an ounce. Like yeah. None. None at all. They just presented an alien character with strong convictions. I'm like, that's sexy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, but then they make her more human and very traditionally attractive all of a sudden. Yeah. And for some reason that rubbed me the wrong way. Gotcha. And I, okay. and that's a hard thing for me to explain. And I don't really know why that is, but I felt like I'd lost something Interesting. You know, from the show yeah. that I was really enjoying. I'm curious to see how you'll feel after watching more of her as that, yeah. as this you know human Mimbari hybrid. And I still loved the character, you know, yeah. and I love the, performance i love this actress and yeah. she was rousseau on lost and it's yeah. so fun to see her yeah. in this um like that's she's, one of the things i don't know if i mentioned it last time it drove me crazy watching lost because yeah. uh, in lost she's only a voice you just hear her oh. over the recording at first that's the, right. and they keep yeah. calling her the french woman yeah and she's reading the numbers and i think she might even be saying stuff uh and i'm like god damn her fucking voice is familiar <laughs> and uh i didn't want to like go cheat and to me cheat look it up yeah it's that like i gotta figure it out i gotta figure it out that's funny. and i think i finally had to look it up because i'm like i don't know what did you look it up before she showed up on screen uh yeah definitely because it that's was funny. just just killing me you know yeah just, that's i had so to know funny i didn't put that together at first uh, i think i'd seen some before i realized it was the same actress uh-huh. and it blew my mind yeah yeah and that's something else that i was really enjoying is the fact that because of the makeup and how how alien her performance was it was like a truly transformative performance yeah, yeah. and she's so much closer to to human yes now that um, I see the similarity between her and Rousseau. Yeah. And it makes the magic of that performance a little muted to me. I see. Even yeah. though I still think she's fucking awesome. She's so good. But I, I just love alien stuff. Right, you know, right. I love sci-fi. <laughs> I want I loved that alien character and it was so well done. And it's it it's a shame to only get one season of that alienness right. from her. Yep. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. But I, I that being said, I'm like all about her arc i really enjoyed watching her discover like her femininity yeah that was cool yeah and i actually really like the whole romantic subplot between her and sheridan yeah two people who are very unlikely but are going through this intense thing together and discovering that they're maybe attracted to each other i thought it was very well done it's the first time this show has written any sort of romance in a way that i that i liked yeah and most of their other stuff has either been super rushed like the uh, which i consider rush the ivanova and talia winter one or has been people that have like been broken up or dealing with like right. broken relationships. Love is pain sort of shit. Yeah. Nothing like, like this where it's a burgeoning one, yeah. which is good. I like it. I'm just so sick of seeing Garibaldi stand there with his hands in his pocket saying it's, it would have made me so happy, but we just couldn't make it work. You know, I'm so <laughs> sick of it. I don't like it. I don't like it. That's a good Garibaldi though. <laughs> Thank you. He also does a lot of a, like a bounce. Like he's a kind of a, like, you know, like a shruggy bounce guy. He's, he's a shrugger. He's a bouncy <laughs> shrugger. <laughs> I wish I had your, faith in the universe 
I just don't see it sometimes. Then I will tell you a great secret, Captain. Perhaps the greatest of all time. The molecules of your body are the same molecules that make up this station. And the nebula outside that burn inside the stars themselves. We are star stuff. We are the universe made manifest, trying to figure itself out. And as we have both learned, sometimes the universe requires a change of perspective. Steve, okay, so um, Richard Biggs, Dr. Franklin, I was actually very pleasantly surprised by his arc this season. Yeah. They give him a lot more to do. They give him more to do. He he also gets more of an arc in the future. Uh, uh, so to me, it's like I, I have mixed feelings of this one because I know like, oh, they do so much more later. Hmm. But yeah, this is definitely an improvement from the first season. Oh, yeah. He was very one dimensional first season. Yeah. Or maybe two dimensional. But now I feel like he's three dimensional. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. By the end of the season, like a, a bunch of people sat down to have a drink together. And I remember thinking, wow, I actually would want to hang out with Dr. Franklin. And that's yeah. the first time I felt that. Yeah. Because like, I always want to hang out with Ivanova or Sheridan or Delenn. Yeah. Or Lin- I would love to hang out with Lanier. Holy yeah. <laughs> shit. I want to play Mario Kart with yeah. Lanier. He would love it. <laughs> But by the end of the season, I found myself really liking uh, Franklin. Yeah. And I think it was it was him in that sort of underground railroad yes. thing. Yeah. With, uh, what are they called? The, uh, the telepaths? Yeah, he's like smuggling telepaths yeah. through the st- out of the station. Is that what's happening? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm confusing that with the, the people at the end of the season who are like fighting the darkness the and is that is oh that the, the, rangers. the rangers the rangers oh thank you. Yeah, i yeah. see yeah because he had uh the, both of those were things that he was involved in yeah totally so he's like kind of gotten involved in the in this fight underneath the surface of politics to yeah. make sure that what's right is happening yep and i really like that like he seems to be the type of guy that um that will do what he thinks is right no matter what yeah yeah he's and, just super intense yeah and unlike sheridan he will break the rules to make it happen absolutely yeah, yeah. and and i like that because he's He's so valuable. Like he's a healer. He's uh, he need they need him. So I think he knows that he has a little bit of wiggle room. Yeah. Uh, as an officer, because what he does is is so valuable. You know, it's interesting you said that because that I think is one of the ongoing repetitive themes in a good way of the show is how people respond to basically a, a invalid authority or immoral authority. Totally. You know, what do you do when you're ordered to do a thing that you disagree with? Right. And uh, I think that is a common thing in Star Trek that they explore, but not not in this way, not in the way of all of the characters are constantly facing that because of the the less of the utopian society having like, oh, maybe the government you work for are a bunch of shitheads. Yeah, that's going to come up a lot more often. Yeah, totally. And it, it raises some moral questions that I've really enjoyed how they answered. Yeah, uh, I yeah. like having them being answered in the main cast versus the Star Trek thing, which is let's show up someplace and watch them wrestle with big questions, you know? Right. And then we kind of observe it and maybe we take sides and talk about it, but ultimately it's their shit to solve. Right. Yeah. And the exceptions to that in Star Trek are like highlight episodes. Absolutely. In in the pale moonlight, I think it's called where, uh, is that the right episode where Cisco decides to trick the Romulans into joining the war? Oh, Uh, and he has, and he's like, making a captain's log where he's talking about making this moral choice Uh, and then like gets this anger when he says that I had to, I did this and like I would do it again and I know it's wrong, but I would do it again or something like that. Yeah. And it's powerful as shit. And it's like the, 
it feels so wrong on every level for everything that Star Trek has ever taught us. Right. But then to hear him say he's like he confesses to it and then says I would do it again. Yeah. And then he deletes the log so yeah. no one will ever hear it. It is so good. Yeah. I just spoiled that episode. I'm sorry. But oh, that's fine. <laughs> but it's so good. But th- but that type of thing is built into the fabric of this show. Yes. Where yeah. the whole situation is kind of is is a moral question of what do we do when when war breaks out like who and we can't take sides right what do we do what do we do yeah can we help how do we help and yeah and it it really it's really hitting the spot for me in that way yeah especially right at the end of the season that's why i was so excited to go into season three yeah oh one of the things that i'm most looking forward to we were going to record this last week yeah the only thing i was disappointed about was that meant another week where i couldn't watch the next season. You I know? know me too. Cause totally. I so want to, yeah, I had to reschedule. It was my fault, but oh, that, totally that same fine. thing happened to me where I was like, Oh my God, I want to watch season three. Yeah. And I'm trying to really stay, stay that way where I'm just watching them before we record. So I, I like don't, that. you know, yeah, I'm doing that too. Yeah. Cause it's, my memory's so bad. I'll forget what was what, you but know, you're, it's interesting cause you're hundred percent following like, you're in like you're in like Flynn. You're you're yeah. uh, you're on board 100. percent Yeah. It sometimes people have a hard time, like I've said, with the first season where uh, it's rough partway through, so they want to start skipping around. Uh, but if it's someone like you, where you're like, oh, I ultimately overall enjoyed season one. Yeah. Then you're smooth sailing because uh, it, the highs only get higher, and then a couple of the lows get a little bit lower. Uh, uh, but yeah. now, but that's it. Now. My memory is that from here on out, it's really oh, like, good. yeah, nice. It just becomes all of the best parts. The lows this season felt like I was being punished for watching this show. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because like the highs were remarkable yeah. and like so worthwhile. But I think I liked season one better as a whole oh, because I never felt like I'd been punished. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll be curious if you ever go back then to see because I feel like rewatching it again, season one becomes more of a slog because mm. there's less of the payoffs. So you're like, all of this is bullshit. You and you know right away when you're like, this story has nothing to do with the main arcs. You could just stop this show and you could stop this episode yeah. and it doesn't matter. Where That's season two, you're like, even the ridiculous. Uh, comes the Inquisitor episode with uh, the Jack the Ripper. That's legitimately an important, meaningful aspect of Sheridan and Delenn's character development and them being, it's interesting in one way, just from a narrative point of view, where normally you would test your characters through circumstance or, or, you know, a, um, a situation. This is literally having a character come in and bother your main characters to, to make sure that their motivations are pure. Like yeah. that's such a strange yeah. thing. Also, once you realize, Oh, that's the, those are the angels of the universe yeah. who are mentally and psychologically torturing these people who are supposed to stand up to fight darkness. That like, made no sense, wait, but it kind of does. I mean, it kind of does, I think. And maybe it'll make more sense mm. as it goes on, but that, that made very little sense to me that the Vorlons would put them through this. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like the idea of the Vorlons testing our main characters to see, are they the right people to lead us into this fight? Because the fight. fight's coming. Right. We know it's coming, and this is very important for the galaxy. We have right. to, And we know that this place, Babylon 5, like this place where people come to talk, is going to be important. A key part of it, right. Yeah, so we have to make sure we have the right people there. And they keep kind of implying, like, this is the last, not the last time this is going to be fought, but this is the, the this fight won't involve help from other 
older races, right? Like this is the fight of our generation and we have to handle it. We have to handle it, right. Yeah, right, and they've right. known it's coming, it seems. Right. So so I like that idea, but the execution, like I can't imagine being in the meeting where they say, well, yeah, we want to test our characters and like learn a lot about them through this test. And I was like, yeah, 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 that sounds great. Okay, what should we do? How about well, we kidnap a serial killer? What, what, if, what if we had the most pompous asshole ever and he's also Jack the Ripper? What do you think? <laughs> like, how did that get through? It's yeah, crazy. Like, it's so... There's so many ways they could have done that, like put them into a, a weird like death trap yeah. holodeck environment where they have to run around and like, make choices with like weird holograms from their past or something sure. or like an obstacle course of yeah. terror and uh, where they're never in any real danger but they're being mentally tested mentally like, tested that's right. what the Vorlons would do right, right. See, doesn't that make more sense it does it makes more sense than hanging them up on a machine and then asking them the question yeah you know like screaming who are you over who, and over who, right right who do <laughs> they think they're, they're Negan that's he's Negan yeah it's uh, very strange yeah it's weird um, we haven't talked about uh, uh, Veer or Lanier yet. Oh, yeah, which is interesting because they have a great cute moment in this season. Oh, my God, I where, loved it. Where they just meet at a bar and basically don't talk uh. to each other, but talk back and forth and have essentially the same complaints. Yes. And then finish a drink and then part ways. And say, like, same time next week, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, so basically they're just like they're they're like lackeys yeah and they they're sidekicks and they complained about sidekick stuff yeah and it was it's adorable really cute <laughs> i loved and, it and veer is interesting because you know lanier has an easier job he works yeah. for the woman who's literally fighting on the side of the angels that he's in love with that he's in love with yeah, yeah. and 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 respects her and yeah you know he's got to sometimes do some bullshit but you know he's fine, but he does it. He does it gladly for the love of following her. Yeah, he definitely, and he seems to buy into the whole Mimbari. Like this is what we do. Yeah, uh, and Veer has to work for a person who is in who used to be just like a drunken joke, right. but who now is like selling his soul to the devil for right. power. Like Veer is in a position to save the galaxy. Yeah, you know? he, right. And, if he just and, strangled Londo, and he wants to. Yeah, and, and not not that he he loves Londo, but he knows that Londo's doing the exact wrong thing, and he sees it happening, and he sees the world crumbling around them, and he yeah. knows that this is bad, and he wants to do something, and he's like honor bound and and tied to Londo in ways that make it so difficult for him, and it's making him kind of grow a pair. Yeah, and I found that really interesting this season. Yeah, and I, I would love to see him strike out i would love yeah. to see him like take action and do something yeah. because he's he, got a good arc londo i mean veer has a good arc yeah i i i didn't like him the first season and this season brought me like one step away from liking him yeah and and if they make that leap where he becomes like a, a full person yeah. you know and like makes his own decision for the first time yeah about anything yeah because he was also broad comic relief in the Absolutely, first season totally yeah but this time, like the 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 one of the comic relief things, it actually felt really good is when he was talking to Morden when the the evil representative of the shadows, yeah. was like, "I want to talk to that human guy that was, yeah, that was from the Icarus and right, from yeah, season one that that somehow can summon the you know, the, yeah, to get the shadows to go the, kick the ass. person that that Londo's contact to the darkness to the darkness, right, yeah. right, <laughs> not the band, the the weird. <laughs> he does not believe in a thing called love, and but, but then when when Veer tells him like. Like, I want to see you dead. Like, I, I want to, you know, I want them to murder you. I thought that was an interesting, you know, uh, interesting development for Veer as a character. Wait, when Veer says what to who? To to Morden. When oh, he says to Morden, he wants to see him dead. I want to see you. Yeah, I want to. See, I want to see them hang your head. Uh, yeah. I want to see them hang your head on a spike as a warning to people that yeah. some things come with 
payments that are too high of a price or something really, like that. I really liked that scene. If restoring the Centauri Republic means nothing to you, what does? What do you want? I'd like to live just long enough to be there when they cut off your head and stick it on a pike as a warning to the next ten generations that some favors come with too high a price. I want to look up into your lifeless eyes and wave like this. I'm not the biggest fan of violence, but yeah. um, but Vera's like such a pacifist and like a baby. Yeah. To see him uh, take this stand against the person who he knows is is hurting his friend. Yeah. And his friend doesn't see it. It's like it's like Londo's addicted to power. Yes. And power is a drug to him. Yep. And this guy is his supplier. Yep. And Veer loves Londo and wants him to be healthy and knows that this is hurting him. Yep. And won't leave. Yeah, he, yeah. He's he's like it's it's kind of like living with an addict, you know, mm-hmm. like being in love with an addict or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a good good point. Yeah, and I I really I really enjoyed that. I I really liked that arc. Um, I'm still not quite like a fan of the character, but mm-hmm. I'm very close. I, I talk, this talk is making me like him more. I think it's valid. I, I I'm partly a fan of him in this season because of knowing. Uh, more of what happens with him. Yeah. But uh, his characterization, I think is better done this Absolutely. season, but I can still see where it's like, ah, he's still not, he's still not quite there. It's he's only, he's someone who's they're only hinting at right now. Totally. They haven't fully fleshed out. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting is that sometimes when they hint at characters, they feel empty and sometimes they feel uh, deep and rich. Right. And I actually think Lanier is the perfect example of that. Yeah. Cause Lanier in season one He's he's like the exact same person in season two. Yeah. But the more information you get, he makes more and more sense. Yeah. And it just makes you feel like there's this deep well of character yeah. and person there. And he feels complete. Even he though you right. don't know much about him. And he doesn't really have an arc per se. He's right. someone who doesn't change that much. You just start to get a bigger picture of who he is. Yeah. And I like that a yeah. lot. And I really like his character. I love his childlike enthusiasm. Yeah. Enthusiasm for uh for for fun. Yeah. Ex- new exciting things. Yeah. Because he's so serious and like so detached yeah but he really he would love he would just love to play a board game or something you know like he'd be so excited about like the simple things in life and i i think that's cool because he's he comes from a culture that's detached from that right in the minbari so i i really like uh i really like when he shows that interest in the more quirky side of life yep i think it's very effective for his character yeah yeah agreed Okay, well, the last two are like the big two for this season okay. that we haven't talked about, and we should talk about them together, sure. which is uh, Jakar and Londo. Oh, of course, yeah. That's the heart of the season. The heart of the season, oh, absolutely. And in some ways, the heart of the show. I mean, that's like the that's two That's what I'm getting. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. And then my favorite thing is that they now show on screen the story that Londo had said in season one, where Londo mentions, as soon as I met Jakar... I oh knew, yeah, I'm gonna. Strang- he's, yeah, right, he's, he's known that this is, he's the person who's gonna kill me. Yeah, he just didn't know what circumstances or why. And we saw that in like a vision. Yeah. this season they show him like being old, and then Jakar's got like an eye patch. <laughs> Pirate Jakar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was that one beautiful moment in the middle where they where Jakar extended the olive branch of friendship. Yep. And you want those two to be friends, right? And it's weird, like you want them to love each other for some reason, and I don't know why I want that, but. I mean, Londo betrays everything that Jakar has ever wanted yep. and destroys his people. Yep. Like, Londo is individually responsible for, like, mass genocide of yep. the Narn. Yeah, millions and millions of Narn. Yeah, and it's all because, like, the, the, the shadow, per- Morden, offered him 
uh, an army. Right. He's like, if you if you want something to happen, if you want to take this outpost, we can do that. Right. And that's where it started is like taking one outpost or something well, like that. Well, because it's interesting. The, the, like Morden, that's, just, that's the thing is like the question of what do you want? Yeah. Uh, and then Londo gave like an offhanded answer. Yeah. But the one that he kind of felt like, yeah, okay, if I could have anything, this is what I would have. But then never really thinks about the consequences of, right. oh, right, if I was going to be at the head of an empire ruling the galaxy, that would be the death of millions of people. Yeah, and you know, he he seems so upset when he finds out that Morden has killed all those people, which I which I don't remember if that happened in season one or two. Um, I think it's in season two where he where he really shows remorse for it. Okay, yeah, but 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 as soon as it happens, he's basically offered a position of authority. That other guy with a, a similar accent yeah. to uh, which Rifa? made me so happy that another Centauri showed up with a similar accent. Rifa? Rifa, yes, yeah. Rifa. He's great. Yeah, Rifa shows up and, and offers Londo more power back home because of what he's just accomplished. And yeah. Londo can't say no to that. And and you're basically watching someone's descent into yeah. evil. Yep. And by by inches. And it's yeah. But it feels natural. It's not totally. Like, it I think, fits. It works with the character. I've seen other shows. I wish I could think of one. But just the idea of subverting a character and trying to make them evil, where it either feels like forced, yeah. or heavy handed, or I think sometimes you can do like, oh, look, we murdered their dog and daughter and wife in front of him. So now he's going to the dark side. Yeah, this is not there's nothing other than somebody said, you know, we could do this if you wanted to. Yeah, that's it. Nobody's pushing him. Yeah, he's just slowly saying yes to more and more. He just wants things. power. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And he doesn't he doesn't care about the lives of Narn that much. Yep. Except for maybe Jakar, which I think he, he, he likes really him personally, wants Jakar yeah. to like him. Yeah. I think he does. Uh, and maybe that's why the audience, as for me as the audience, I want them to like each other. Yeah. Because Londo wants that. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. They, they're, they're like an intertwined arc, which is beautiful. I love it. I yeah. love it. And then I guess we did talk a bit about Jakar and his... Uh, his position with his people kind of shifting and changing. And right. you see him become like a real leader in this season yes. where he has to produce uh, like a message from home to make sure to, to tell this other Narn if his wife and child are alive, I think is what happened. Yep. And he's able to do it by working with Sheridan and, yeah. uh, and it kind of cements his place among his people because they, like it looked like a, a coup was about to take place. I mean, they're all mad. They all lost their home world and a lot of them lost right. their families. Yeah. And I love the fact that him proving to someone that his family existed, like the look on his face when he said, I will follow you. Yeah. You know, uh, I loved it. It was so well done. Yeah. And in season one, I would have been terrified at the thought of, of Jakar leading anything. Yeah. But in season two, I'm like, I'll get in your army because yeah. you're a fucking badass warrior yeah. dude who like, has this deep well of emotion and pain. Right. And that's why you act like an asshole all the time. And everything he said about the Centauri in season one is true. More than true. Yeah, Yeah, totally. It's so funny because like, you don't quite listen. You don't quite believe him in season one. Right. Cause you're not supposed to, cause there's intentionally setting him up as that kind of character. Yeah. And Londo's like, Oh, you know, we, we just like occupied. It wasn't a big deal, you know, whatever it was, but no, like, like the Centauri have no qualms about slaughtering Narn yeah. at all. Yeah. And that's the, the other thing is the specifically when they attack the home world, they use what are considered, it seems like illegal yeah. weapons, the mass drivers. Yeah. Uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction. Weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then that's, that's one of the things that Londo gets skeeved out about. 
you know, is specifically it being these illegal weapons, you know? Yeah. And then it's so frustrating because Earth doesn't get involved. Like no one else gets involved right. to stop them. Right. Which I think and, is great because a lot of people call Babylon 5 like UN, UN space. Totally. But this, is, but this is exactly what happens is yes. like somebody does something terrible and other countries are like. Oh. Yeah. Someone uses a weapon of mass destruction that's against the laws of the galaxy. And, yeah. and the, the people who make those laws don't enforce it right because they're scared yeah because why i mean because that's scary you know one you could be next two yeah maybe you want to be able to do that to people you know maybe yeah i i it seems like uh what i'm learning in season two is that the writer understands the fears of all of the characters yeah 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 and a lot of their actions are dictated by their fears more than their desires yeah and i think that i think that it's interesting that uh like delenn is kind of the opposite where she's really acting out of um, compassion. Right. And the sense of what's right. Yeah. And yeah, I guess, I mean, there's a couple of characters, like Franklin's definitely that yeah. Sheridan is more like in the middle Yeah, where he, Sh- he will feels, do things out of fear or anger. Right. He feels more circumstantial. He's dealing with what's happening now. Yes. He's got his own moral compass, but he's not really moving towards one thing or another other than what I'm told to do by my superiors. Totally. Delenn is fighting evil Delenn is fighting darkness i mean yeah. that's that's all she's doing yeah and then franklin is like i want to end suffering and save lives you know yeah and he's just driven by that yeah totally and it's it's cool to see a show where a lot of it's driven by fear because a lot of our heroes are usually fearless yes and it's fun to dive into what scares these heroes and these villains oh yeah sure and having showing jacquard break down and cry i loved it that was yeah. such a powerful scene you know yeah. that's i His can't think of performance holy shit yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that Andreas dude's a great yeah such a good oh actor. my god he was amazing this season i think he shows up on star trek oh yeah he's tomalak okay yeah commander tomalak uh my favorite romulan okay. ever yeah because he'll like make a weird threat with a smarmy face and then his face will go like super serious <laughs> he's like oh i don't think so i'm going to kill him. <laughs> it's like so good i love it uh yeah he so yeah he and londo this season were very intertwined but also kind of were pulled were pulled in like directions that kind of spoke to something about the core of their character and yeah. revealed a lot yeah, yeah where when like this intense situation comes up londo completely caves he completely does what other people want him to do if they offer him anything shiny and nice right whereas jakar is willing to like put everything on the line for his people and make a stand and like do something right and it's totally ineffective and he loses everything and it's devastating yeah no dictator no invader can hold an imprisoned population by force of arms forever. There is no greater power in the universe than the need for freedom. Against that power, governments and tyrants and armies cannot stand. The Centauri learned this lesson once. We will teach it to them again. Though it take a thousand years, we will be free. And I was shocked that the show went that far. Yeah. I, I really didn't expect this show to go that far. Yeah, when they strip him of his... Uh, 
powers basically as as an ambassador to yeah. remove him from the council, the thing that he's been a part of since the beginning of the show. I yeah. mean, it's really interesting. Yeah, that's and that's one. Of, this is one of the things why I'll always defend Babylon Five to people that I think might want to watch it is that it's doing things narratively that weren't done for another you know whatever like twenty years with television shows. Yeah, that it really was ahead of the curve of doing unexpected things and having. I don't know, powerful storylines. Yeah. I mean, it feels it like it may have influenced Lost. And I, I yeah. wonder if casting Mira Furlan as Rousseau might have been a nod to Babylon 5 or to say, you know, I, I know Damon Lindelof is like a huge fanboy for stuff that he's into. So, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, if I were Damon Lindelof and I had a show and I had that character, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to cast the girl from Babylon 5. That would totally. be so awesome. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, like yeah. I would have done that. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And maybe that happened. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I've heard people say that it influenced, wound up influencing Deep Space Nine itself, where, hmm. you know, the show start and it's that controversy of like, oh, they're both space stations, things like that. Yeah. But then they diverge where Deep Space Nine for its first two, three seasons is classic Star Trek-y next right. generation. Right. It's just doing episodic stuff. Right. And then Babylon 5 is like, da, 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 serialized, deep stories, war. And then Deep Space Nine is like, oh, yeah, maybe let's do some more stuff. Yeah, I wonder about that, too, because I've always... I love serialized storytelling. You know, I, I look at, I, but I look at it as like before and after lost Yeah, where lost was like sensationalized right. in a way that was very intense and that I actually really liked, Yeah, but it ended up being kind of empty in the end because yeah. they were sensationalizing for the sake of it and not for the it sake of never story. pays off. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, and deep, like deep space nine, there was a lot of cliffhangers. There was a lot of serialization, but it felt like it was because the story got too big for one episode. Right. And it just kind of grew into that. Yep. And I fucking love it. I yep. love it so much how that arc goes. Uh, but Babylon five is, is really interesting because it, it seems like a much more intentional effort yeah. to tell a story with like with cliffhangers, a story with, you know, continuing storylines and characters right. popping in and out and yeah. making it try to feel a little bit more like a real world. Yeah. And which is why I like serialized storytelling, because like the real world is not episodic. Yeah. Uh, as much as I love episodic television <laughs> yeah. and the episodic nature of Star Trek and all yeah. that type of shit. But um, yeah, Star Trek obviously has walked away from that completely with Discovery, right. which is exciting for me. I'd like to see where they go with that. Yeah. But um, Lost to me was like, once Lost did it, everyone started doing it. Right. That became the hot thing because you get totally. people wrapped in with like, I have to see the resolution. Right. And yeah. like, uh, oh my God, crazy shit. Trombones. Yeah. Commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and it just like, it worked so well, yeah. especially in that first season that it really picked up steam. And I always thought about Deep Space Nine as the show that kind of taught me that I wanted serialization. Right, right. Uh, because it was the first one that I'd really seen yeah, like and, that. And for me, obviously, it was Babylon 5. That yeah, was, and that's kind of where I'm going is yeah. that like, I think that now that I'm watching Babylon 5 and seeing how early on they were doing that, I think Babylon 5 did beat Deep Space Nine to the punch. Yeah, for and, that for that type of story. Yeah. For that version of storytelling. I yeah. Think, I think it does. And there's other non-science fiction things that obviously were doing serialized story. But Babylon 5, really is this proto show yeah it's it would be exact like i said it would be exactly like what you would see now the weird thing about babylon 5 is that it's not based on source material right you know we're like the expanse is this very serialized show um obviously game of thrones uh huge success serialized show babylon 5 would be that made now except it was made out of you know nothing it was its own thing yeah it wasn't a book first yeah totally yeah, and it, it makes me kind of reassess 
how I think about like television history because right. I spend a lot of time thinking about how stories are told for some reason. It's just interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, that's fascinating. And the idea that the way that story has been told over the years is shifting all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to tell a story and have it be effective, you have to kind of. Uh, at least be aware that there, I don't think you have to copy anyone or do what anyone else is doing, but be aware of what has been done. Yes. Because so much has been done at this point. We're just inundated with content all yeah. the time. So if you want to make something, it's got to be unique to you and unique to your own vision and your, uh, your brand, so to say, so, so to speak. And yeah. I think that uh, Babylon 5 is a fantastic example of that, where for all of its flaws, it is like this guy's show and yep. it is his vision his show, and yep. it is different. Yep. You know, yep. it is not something that you've seen before. Yep. And like there are episodes that are terrible, but, but the core of the show is, is beautiful and well-written and very different and very, very unique. Different. Yep. And I think that was probably a lot more influential than I gave it credit for. Yeah. Especially if I'm thinking about, you know, Lost being a hugely influential show. I know that Star Trek The Next Generation influenced the writers of Lost. I've heard them talk about for that sure, before. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know that a bunch of other things have as well. And they may have mentioned Babylon 5, but I it just didn't pop up on my radar because I'd never seen it. Yeah, and it's such an obscure, not obscure, but I mean, it's, it tends to be a lesser ranked show. I, I think it is because of the flaws. Yeah. And you, you, have, to, you have to watch the whole thing to appreciate it. I, to me, it's one of those things where someone's like, they say, I don't like Babylon 5. I go, how much did you watch? And and if it's not everything, then your opinion <laughs> yeah. literally means nothing. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, I can't. And that, that's why it's a show for like us nerds yeah. because you have to sit down and watch every episode. That's the other thing. It's a perfect binge watch show. You, you got to be nerdy about it. You yeah. got to like really want it. You got to, you got to want the story. Yeah. And I think that for people like And the, you have to accept us, your punishment while you watch it. Exactly. Yeah. Accept your punishment. <laughs> for people like us, like those types of shows are the most rewarding. Yes. And I think, you know, Buffy did an incredible job of that. I yep. think Next Gen did an incredible job of that, of like setting things up and then paying them off later i've just been rewatching next gen recently uh, yeah. and it's actually been surprising me in season seven like i just take these things for granted because i've seen it so many times but they they wrap up uh they like or even in season six they return to storylines from season one i was just talking about the thomas Riker episode oh yeah where they kind of wrap up or not wrap up but explain what the fuck happened with Riker and troy six years later right. you know you never found out right uh and then touch on the fact that that relationship just kind of was not a part of the show in, in the way that they originally intended it to be with their sort of romance and whatever yep. it just kind of went away over time yep and then they brought it back in this huge way and examined it and examined how those characters had walked away from it yep and uh like that type of character development is just that that's what i love you know yeah when it feels like something that happens to these characters matters right it's not a reset five or six years later after the, every episode totally because yep. it's like these people are my friends and i remember that happening to yep. them and i wanted to know more about that and yep. it just makes me so invested yep agreed. Um, and i like i feel like lost was this turning point where everyone got on board with that yes. you know where yep. they, that sort of storytelling became uh wanted and accepted and it was so exciting for me as a nerd mm -hmm. because that's what I'd always wanted I had such high hopes for that show yeah and it's so frustrating that they dropped the ball so hard yep and it kind of turned that style of storytelling into almost a joke yes um, that now Scandal is doing and knocking it out of the park as a joke kind yeah, of. yeah, yeah. Like, I mean Scandal I love Scandal I watch it all the time it's like a parody of itself and it's I'm so invested in it. Okay. Like I care I seen so it. much. Is it, about but it's just like extra escalation. Oh, it's just constant escalation. Yeah. To the point where it doesn't like even need to feel real. Okay. And I think that's that's the problem with Lost was like the escalation. They they lost control of their own escalation. Well, yeah, and to me, one of the things that I think uh, was a real hurt for Lost is that they 
if they did truly have an idea of their end game, then it wasn't as thought out as they implied. Exactly. Uh, and I believe that they didn't have any kind of clear thought. Uh, and then they wound up just like, giving like, Oh, here's a weird thing. Here's a weird thing. As if like, let's just create a mystery for the sake of a mystery. Yeah. If you watch lost the first season and you're like, Oh, the smoke monster, the, the sounds like change. That sounds like one character specifically says, sounds like a subway, you know, and then a polar bear. And then to the end of like season two, where they find a giant foot statue. Yeah. None of that was part of a broad plan. Nobody the, when they first started the show knew how all those components fit together. And that's what is to me, the biggest sin it commits. And it's so obvious. It's so painfully obvious once you see the whole thing and it ruins, it yeah. ruins it. And that to me is the major difference with Babylon five, where there's stuff that's bad, but whenever it makes a promise, it is not something that's just pulled out of their ass totally from nowhere. These are all things that uh, have payoff in the future. I agree. Yeah, I'm feeling that. And what what I appreciate about it is that it's a slow burn. Yeah. And it takes a while for you to get to the meat and potatoes of the story. Yeah. But the thing with that is that when you get there, it's going to be more intense. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you're because you're on board, you know so much. Yeah. And I for me personally, I know I I I don't know. I had more patience when I was younger. I have less patience than I do now. And yeah. I have less patience for slow burn storytelling, but it's also like one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like for me, I feel like if you're going to do a slow burn, get down into the nitty gritty of the day to day with your characters yeah. and make it interesting because that, that can be done, you yeah. know, and then have a slow burn of a story happening around them. Yeah. I'm really into that. And I, I think expanse does that. Well, if you, I agree. Yeah. Oh my God. I haven't seen season two yet, but season one, I was yeah, obsessed I'm just with season one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. But watched, that's one. That's yeah, a super, super slow burn. And one that's definitely, like here's one information that we're not going to explain you yeah. have to sort it out but everything about it is so compelling the world is so compelling yes you just want to like yes keep i'll soak up more slow burn yeah make me want to live in the world yeah because I, I love that too and like lost did a great job of that where immediately on lost i wanted to be there with those people sure you know? even yep. though it sounded terrible and awful i wanted to be there yeah and i was super on board with lost i think even through season four maybe. And then at a certain point I was like, Oh, they're circling the drain. They just don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And then I, then I tuned out. I kept watching it. Yeah. I hate watched it all the way through. And then it Me was too. just like, I hate watched it twice. Oh, I've been meaning to go back. Cause I wanted to see if my feelings were as intense. You know, the first three seasons were, the first two in particular were as good as I remembered them, Yeah, which was so surprising to me. And I really like season three. I really like season four until the very end. Yeah. And then five and six are when I just like get pissed. Yeah. There's good episodes in five and six, but like they're very rare. And yeah. the show as a whole is just garbage. Yeah. And I, I listened to an interview recently with Damon Lindelof where he was talking about how like they did have to make up a lot of that on the fly. You know, like they... Like JJ is a fan of sort of instinctual storytelling, yeah. I think he was saying. So they like set up a bunch of things that felt right to do. And they're like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And then uh, when it comes to actually like sitting down and figuring it out, when you have that much pressure from that many fans to do something that's going to satisfy them, like right. how are you supposed to do it? You can't. I also often wondered if they ran into the problem of, oh, there's too many fan theories that are obvious. So we've got to dig deeper to get right. something, you know. Yeah, I wonder if like they originally meant the island to be purgatory, but people had been talking about that for years. Like, so we they can't couldn't do, that. do it. Yeah. yeah, so they made a different version of purgatory that was way dumber. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fuck that. <laughs> I hated that. Uh, so anyway, like this this show to me is like nerd bait. You know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah, Babylon yeah. Five, where it 
where it's got like all the elements of, of storytelling that I really, really like. Yeah. Uh, as far as like, I love aliens. I love yeah. like big convoluted, like intergalactic politics stories. If they're done well, fuck you. And uh, prequels. <laughs> uh, I love like, I love seeing emotional consequences yeah. resonate like mm-hmm. that in such a bizarre, fantastical environment, you know? Yep. And I really, really like stories that plant seeds and pay them off later. Yep. So yep. all that stuff about the show, I'm adoring. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, where it's falling apart for me a little bit is in the day to day. Like, yeah. how do we present the story Yeah, where they just, I, I, it's like he needed someone else there who had a better aesthetic vision than he did. One maybe of, One of my takeaways from Babylon five is, you know, don't make a promise that you can't keep in terms of your writing. Yeah. Uh, good writing can solve any problem that you need to solve. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, always have a writing partner, ah! <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because I feel, totally. I feel like if there was just someone else, like J. Michael Straczynski and so and so, someone that was like, I don't know, dude, maybe we should tone this one back a little yeah. bit. Dude, do you really want to make it Jack the Ripper? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? This also, this joke isn't funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's there's so much like you know humor that would have been dated at the time the show was aired. Yeah. And it's being presented in the year twenty one sixty four or whatever. Yeah. Ugh. It's there. There was a lot of things that are hard to buy. Yeah, but great show, and great I'm show. really enjoying it. Right. And I'm stoked about season three. Me too. Can't wait. I'm gonna race home and watch it as soon as we're done. Fuck yeah, dude! This was so fun. I'm so excited. Oh, thank for you. Season three. Yeah, me too. Uh, thank you again for doing this with me. Thanks this for is... watching it. Invite me to talk about it. Oh man, it's a win-win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Win-win-win. Because then other people get to hear it, and I hope they like it too. I hope you're all watching Babylon Five. Fuck yeah. Got, uh, do you want to plug your radio LARP, your your fun oh, stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's been now like a year since we put something out, but we're not <laughs> dead yet. We 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 will make something eventually. Uh, but yeah, go check out uh, radiolarp.com for. Uh, genre fiction, comedy, uh, podcast, radio play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, Doug or you're Doug, uh, Ryan Casey, one of my other regular yeah. guests. Uh, he's, 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 uh, we're writing partners. We're co-writers. Yeah. And that's why our stuff is better. <laughs> oh, uh, our sci-fi parody flight space seven is a superior product to Orville. And I say that not as an unobjective uh, opinion. <laughs> I've watched three episodes of Orville and it's, you know, 45 minutes. You get one joke at the end, you know, it's not a good comedy, but I'm enjoying it as a sci-fi show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I like it as Episode like, three was fantastic. Yeah. Episode four, I didn't really like. Yeah. The one I watched last night. Episode four was the one with Charlize Theron. Ah, uh, okay. And it was so fucking weird. Yeah. It was like it was like they just took a bunch of things that happened in Star Trek and put them all into one episode, but, yeah. missed, but missed the point of why they happened. Yeah. But episode three were um, Bordis, Vortis, Bordis. Yeah, Bordis uh, and his partner. and Clyde and his right. Who's who's uh, Fred Johnson? Ah, from uh, Expanse, and also he was on Walking Dead. What's his name? I don't remember. Gotcha. I like that actor a lot. Right, where they have the child. That's they have a child, a female, female child, right? and they want to convert it to male because their whole society is male. Right. I thought that they did a fucking awesome job with that episode. I was actually a little bit flabbergasted by that one. I'm yeah. like shocked that it was so good. Yeah, I was the whole time I was terrified. Like, this is not going to go well. I know. I'm like, they're going to drop the ball. They're going to drop the ball. And they didn't. Like, yeah. they kept that ball bouncing the whole episode. Yeah. And they, they still managed to have an ending that that felt like unsatisfying, but correct. Yeah. And I, I think that they did a really brilliant job. But then episode four, I just did, I, like the humor. Oh my God. I yeah. just... I didn't like the humor. I didn't. I, I felt like they missed the point of their own story. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I really didn't care for that one. But so far I've liked, I mean, I liked the pilot just fine, even though I had some issues with 
yeah. a couple of things. And I, I, the same with episode two. Yep. And it's very comforting to have a show on TV that looks and feels like Star Trek The Next Generation yeah, 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 that yeah, is yeah. new. Yeah. You know, like getting to go on these new space adventures is really cool. <laughs> so I'm I'm on board at this point. Like, I'm yeah. going to keep watching it. I'm going to keep watching it, too. Yeah. yeah. But I feel satisfied that what we did was better. <laughs> <laughs> High five. High five. All right. All right, Doug. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll thank see you, you next time. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to see it continue, I need your support. There's a couple things that would be incredible for you to do. One is to leave us a positive rating and review on iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice. And another is to support us financially, either through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the description. You can head over to jessemercury.com to find my podcast library, including the show Sci-Fi on Trial and this podcast, Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury, as well as my collection of sci-fi synth-pop music and music videos. And if you enjoy watching people play Nintendo games, you can find me doing so on YouTube at youtube.com slash Sci-Fi. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, stay nerdy out there.